McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Mr. Hamburglar. Bravo, bravo. He said, of all the McDonald's burgers I've ever hamburgled, these are the hottest, juiciest, and tastiest. Bravo. Hurry in and enjoy one of our 350 bundles, like a daily double and small fries for a limited time. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any of the offer comparison of prior classic burgers. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. There's no place to escape to. This is the last time. On the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? This is going to come out sometime after the, the news of this weekend, but I think it's nice for Hawaii to feel some panic. Oh. Because they are so relaxed. Do you think that's right? All the time. Do you really want to say that on camera? <laughs> on microphone? Yeah. This is going to be like, it's going to come out like a full week after the Hawaii thing. Yeah. I think, I think the Hawaii nice. thing is already out of the news. It's totally out of the news. Ah. <laughs> Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Ben Kissels, and this is the last podcast on the left. But you already heard an intro, so you know that already. But per my uh, contract, I will remind you, <laughs> this you. is the last podcast on the left. And who am I? You are Marcus Parks. And who are you? I am Ben Kissel. And who's out there stated, in Atlanta? And that is Atlanta's Henry Zabrowski. It's cold in here. <laughs> it is right. very cold inside of this apartment. But honestly, wouldn't it be nice? You have 30 minutes. You think hmm. you're about to get blown up by a fucking nuclear bomb. Sure. You could say whatever you want. Yeah. And then you, technically then you'll have to deal with it a half an hour later. Is that what you're concerned with? It's like the nuclear missile comes and all you're concerned about is getting out of free speech jail? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. It's my one shot. Well, I'm sorry what happened to your Atlanta Falcons there over the weekend as well. Speaking my of Atlanta destruction. Falcons. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, all right. Well, speaking of free speech, oh. whew, some guy took full advantage of it and it led to the death of a lot of people. Jim Jones, Jonestown, part two. This is intense. So when we last left Jim Jones, he had just founded People's Temple, giving a name to an organization whose membership would fluctuate from dozens to thousands over its 23-year existence. But in 1955, Jonestown was still a long ways away. It would take years for Jim Jones to build it. But as we talked about last episode, he'd already figured out the basics by 1955. He hmm. just needed to take it to the next level. Remember this. When you start your cult, the big thing is patience. Right. <laughs> you have to drop seeds early. Yeah. It takes a long time. You got to build in generations. These are the people. These are why things last a long time. This is right. why Scientology is still going on. It's because it's deep-seated. It takes it. So just give it that mmm. Give it that slow cook. And remember, time <laughs> keeps on ticking into the future a little faster <laughs> than you. you might expect. So Thank don't you for, make I almost forgot about Steve Miller. I know. Miller. I know you did. <laughs> you almost forgot those sage words from Steve Miller band. Absolutely. <laughs> but don't make your doomsday date too early. That's what Umption Riccio made the mistake of. 92 was right around the corner. <laughs> yeah. They should have pushed that to like 2025. Push it into the future. Build it up and say, That's oh, there's right. going to be a lot of shit. 
Well, that was actually one of the genius things of Jim Jones is he never actually put a doomsday date on his own cult. He put doomsday dates around him, but he never put one on the cult itself. With him, as we'll see, if you follow Jim Jones, you avoid the doomsday date. Now, one thing that's important to know is that a large part of the People's Temple membership always was and always would be elderly women. He's rolling in it. <laughs> at some point, do you think Jim Jones like looked out at the crowd and was just like, I've done it. Finally. <laughs> Look at all of this crepe paper skin. I love looking at every single human being here whose arms I could break if I flick their wrists with the strength of flicking a sugar packet. Oh, God. You just reminded me of that story of my friend who worked in the nursing home. Uh-huh. And the, the patients would get their skin snagged on, like, random, like, I don't know why there were nails hanging out and stuff. <laughs> then it would just peel right off their body, like, yeah, just as you said, paper mache. So many congressmen and senators are in their 70s right now. Oh, it would yeah. be so easy to just take them out in the White House by just by getting a Zamboni <laughs> and just driving through Congress and just sweeping them up with the sweepers. They'd yes. fall apart. They literally would. They'd turn into like pulled pork. That would be a good scene from Scream Queens, hey. which people reminded oh. me of on Twitter. Well, all of this, this all owed to the way that Jim Jones was able to ingratiate himself with old people. And so, one of the People's Temple's first altruistic projects was taking elderly congregants into the personal home of Jim and Marceline. Hmm. And eventually, that endeavor grew to several nursing home facilities and corporations. Size. It was. They were good. They were good nursing homes. They worked really hard at making them super high quality. Yeah, they were quality nursing homes. And He's this like work- uh, what nursing homes is to uh, Jim Jones is what nursing what Magic Johnson was to car washes. That's what I wanted to say. <laughs> he franchised. Also, a very convenient aspect of the nursing home angle is that what he would do with these old people is that he would get them to give them the leases to their homes, mm. and then he would take their homes and absorb all their assets. So it's it's a really fast oh. way to get money. Is it just to adopt an old woman? Especially like 95 to 97. She's not going to be around for that long. She's not even going to know you're not wiping her ass anymore. You leave her (laughs) up in the closet until she's gone, and then you get all her stuff. Oh, that's not good. Did you learn nothing from Billy Madison? That's Ben Stiller's approach. Happy, happy. Happy Gilmore. Gilmore, I'm sorry. Not Billy Madison. Goodness. (laughs) Well, that's one of the ways that this whole nursing home thing worked for Jim Jones. The other ways that they took care of the elderly, and so they gained the community's trust. Mm. And three, it gave members of the People's Temple jobs. Together, these three things, the money, the jobs, and the community care, would be integral to the development of People's Mm. Temple, both in Indianapolis and beyond. Jim also founded a soup kitchen-type cafe called The Free Restaurant, which served about 2,800 people every week. Wow. He organized clothing drives and he put together youth programs that kept kids off the streets. Huh. He was doing good work, and it was a lot of hard work. And he uh, realizes, and so that's where these games start playing out, right? Where it's in the end, again, this looks totally kosher. This looks great. Right. So like, he's trying to help humankind, and he is helping humankind. And a lot of it is genuine. But the problem is it's so small. It's yeah. just a small amount of people he's reaching, and this is still just shitty indie. You know what I mean? He needs to figure out. I don't think that that's the official slogan of Indianapolis. <laughs> not for, not Indi- for me. I, we had a great think- time in Indianapolis. <laughs> we loved the city. We loved Indianapolis. We went to CrimeCon there. It was wonderful. It was actually surprisingly beautiful. It was a yeah. beautiful town. But, you know, yeah, as positive all, all, as all this was, as Henry said, like this was all small fries. Jim actually won political influence. Right. And the person to help him there was Marceline. So you're telling me the way to get political power in this country is not embracing older African-American 
African women. That's not that's not the road to the White House in this country. It doesn't country. seem like it. Yes, well, serving free soup huh. doesn't get you there, except for Bernie Sanders, who just ate a lot of free soup. Oh, yeah, a lot of it. And it is now, by the way. Look at Alabama. We won't go into it. See, at first, Jim Jones didn't necessarily have a talent for civics. He was a little coarse. He didn't necessarily know how to move in those social circles. But luckily for him, his wife had grown up in a politically active family. That's right. She was sent as a scout to various civic meetings across Indianapolis, taking notes on policy, decorum, and who the local movers and shakers were. Well, I honestly believe that he specifically chose Marceline as his wife because of this fact. Right. That back in the day, it seemed more like, oh, they were in love. She was kind of the hot nurse. He was the 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 fun nurse that made sponge baths <laughs> fun. And it was like, but I, it, it's she. He saw those qualities, I think, and knew that right. she came from a civic background. And as all these things kind of came together, he was like, ah, yes, the re- your purpose has been revealed to me. Mm-hmm. And then and she just fit right in because she was. I, I think she was excited to be a part. Of the entire movement, she she yeah. liked all of the volunteering. She loved the nursing home. She took she personally was in charge of a lot of this, like yeah. June and Johnny Cash, June <laughs> the establishment, Johnny the rebel. But who did the audience relate to, Mister Cash? So after Marceline went to all these meetings, she'd report back to Jones, and then when Jim Jones himself showed up to the next meeting days or weeks later, he knew what to say, how to say it, and who to say it to, instantly giving him credibility. But politics wasn't the only place where Jim Jones had his attention in the mid to late 50s. That's when he discovered Father Divine, Uh a.k.a. The Messenger, a.k.a. Reverend Major Jealous Divine. Is he a WWE manager? (laughs) He does. You know, because you have to be, to name yourself Jealous Divine, you have to be very, very confident. I love it. Yeah, his, uh, his... logic for calling himself jealous was uh-huh. I am a jealous God. Oh. And so he said that, that God's name is jealous. And so God's name, if jo- God's name is jealous, then my name is jealous. You call me Reverend Major Jealous Divine. Why do I have a feeling this guy has an assistant solely to rub butter on his feet? <laughs> I feel like this is Someone a guy come get- rub butter on my feet. You know I call them loaves for a reason. <laughs> Someone <laughs> so hard at that, how I punish these big cracked feet by jamming them into these shoes. How does this get me closer to God again, uh, Mr. Chalice? Rub the feet and you'll see, my friend. (laughs) Jim Jones pretty much stole Father Divine's entire act and repackaged it, sort of like what Elvis did with black R&B stars. With what a lot of white people did with a lot of black people's stuff. That is true. And what Orion did to Elvis. Remember Orion? Very famous. Orion Orion was great, but Orion, it was different. It was different. Yes, it was <laughs> I, different. I really think it's true. Where Jim Jones sort of was, I mean, Jim Jones obviously is the garage rock of cult leaders. He no. has taken all of these things. Uh, is I would that a say bad that thing he, or a good thing? He took. It's a good thing. He well, for for cult leaders. So it's a bad thing <laughs> for the rest of us. But he was a, a guy that he invented a lot of the stuff that we're going to see became the trope of the cult leader. But mm. what we're actually going to see is that he, most of those turns, the classic cult leader turns, he stole from Father Divine. Okay. Like, it's like Father Divine was doing this since the 20s, and he figured out a long time ago how to manipulate a group of people into doing things that they didn't want to do. He's yeah. taking it to the next level, though, perhaps. Oh, yeah. Jim Jones is the Elvis of cult leaders. This All guy right. took it worldwide. Okay. Everyone knows who Jim Jones is. Yeah. Just like everyone knows who Elvis is. I heard that. Very good, Marcus. <laughs> I heard that. 
So yeah, since 1919, Father Divine, he'd run the kind of figurehead-centric, black-and-white, integrated kind of cult that Jim Jones was aspiring to. Mm. Divine, he ran a tight ship on his compound, he had successfully convinced his followers that he was God on Earth, and... He had his pick of female followers. Nice. Divine had such a hold on his congregation that when his wife, Penaniah, called... Wait, what was that? Penaniah. Penaniah? Penaniah is a cool name. you got to go to the doctor. Uh, (laughs) Very funny. That is a diagnosis. Very, very funny. I've never heard that name before. (laughs) I think it's Penaniah. Penaniah? It's either Penaniah or Penania. Okay. Or it's Penania. Penania. (laughs) It could be Penania. Penania. I have no idea. (laughs) But they called her Mother Divine. And when she died in 1942... Father Divine replaced her with a 21-year-old Canadian named Edna Richings, okay. saying that his wife had jumped bodies from an elderly black woman to a supple young white one, and mm. nobody said anything. You have it's, to be pretty good at talking yeah. to do that. It's Especially not the movie t- li- talking to that Edna girl who's just like, so I'm who now? You're my wife. Uh, well, it's like the spirit jumped into you and now you're my wife. You know what I'm saying? No, I don't, but I'm just happy to be someplace that's not backwards-ass Canada. <laughs> oh, my. It's like the movie Little Nicky. <laughs> Jumping bodies. Well, she was his personal secretary. Oh, okay. And so I think that they possibly had a relationship going on before Mother Divine died. And then when Mother Divine died, that's when she jumped bodies over to this other girl, Edna. Huh. And Edna got the name of Sweet Angel Divine. Cool. I'm I'm just going to say, I hope that Travis understands that one day when Marcus leans over after maybe maybe the, some time in the past, and you're like, you know, Travis, uh, I had a dream last night that Carolina jumped into you. <laughs> I don't really understand the sleeping with your secretary. Yes. <laughs> Travis, of course, a longtime producer here at the last podcast network. <laughs> Now, this whole thing, this whole path to success for Father Divine, it was not particularly smooth, nor was it easy, Mm. but Father Divine was living proof that a man could gain and keep followers, and it could all be done relatively peacefully. Okay. And Jones, he saw something to aspire to, and he learned everything he could from Father Divine, who, like most cult leaders, enjoyed having his ego stroked. Ugh. So he was all, because Jim Jones came in, he had been running a successful integrated church in Indianapolis. Right. He was a young dude, and he came into Father Divine's compound. Father Divine saw somebody that he could brag to, essentially. Mm. But also remember this. When, when he was doing the beginnings of this church, it was like it was very socialist and it was very, very personal. He dealt with his congregation very closely, Jim Jones. And he l- dressed like shit. Like he dressed like hand-me-down clothes. His furniture was filled with his, his house is filled with rundown furniture everywhere. He walked the walk. And that's what he's basically saying is that like we don't need we shirk all luxuries. Right. We we uh live a life of service and uh chastity and a lack of money and all this stuff. But then he walks into Father Divine's mansion where he's got full-on harem of women with their nipples visible, like full, like crazy <laughs> I think you might be adding like, a little bit here. <laughs> nipples no, this is true. Nilly, 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 maroon well, I don't know about the nipples, everywhere. but you, know, you don't a, know about he the... Can, he can infer that there were nipples okay. out. Nipples. And then you walk in the house, nice furniture. He's got like a chaise lounge. Like he's got mm. a full couch that's just for lying because you ate too much organ meat. And then, Ooh. but this is true. Father Divine dressed, Father Divine dressed in beautiful clothes, beautiful suits, and obviously Jim Jones walked in there and was like, "Oh man, 
I've really been fucking this up. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I was thinking too. You know, with that, we talk about ego, uh, retirement homes, old folks' home, uh, old folks' homes, and soup kitchens. He's not like living the high life at all. No, not at all. Like he he is living the true socialist mm. ideal. Like he's he's walking the walk, like Henry said. But I think one of the most important things that Jim Jones learned from Father Divine was the skill of improvisation. Because the first thing that he sat down there and they said, zip. He's like, who's the guy who's going to be zip? You say zap, I say zap. I do what now? It's called zip, zap, zap. We're going to take this. We're going to play the ball. We're going to form a ball of energy. I'm going to toss it to you and you're going to pretend to catch it. But Uh there's not going to be a real ball. No, no, no. It's improv. (laughs) We're going to do a thing called big booty. We're all going to sing a song wherever it goes. Big booty, big booty, big booty. Uh Uh-huh. A big booty. And then we we, we all give each other numbers. This sounds stupid. Yeah, it's improv. (laughs) Yeah. Yep, that's the thing with improv. Everything is imaginary, including the money in your bank account. It's not a way to make a living. It is not. A, it is. It is a tool to use. So, as I said, Father Divine's wife, Penaniah, had died of cancer back in the forties. Mm. This was despite Divine's promises to both her and his congregation that he was going to heal her of the cancer mm. and everything was going to be fine. <laughs> and this failure put into question whether or not Divine had any powers at all. Yeah. But when he found Edna renamed her Sweet Angel Divine, he was able to say that Penaniah had just taken another form. So in essence, hmm. he had cured her because she wasn't really dead. All right. Excuse me, uh, Mr. Father Divine. Now, much like Sweet Mother Divine, uh, not to malign her at all, ugly as shit and old and fat and dumpy. <laughs> so if I just... Close your eyes now. Close your eyes, Rogerette. Close your ears. <laughs> If I just smother my wife to death in her sleep, I can just replace her with their younger one and just tell everyone that she's the younger one? Yes. <laughs> that seems yes. dangerous. Slippery slope. That's what I say. Well, in other words, what Jim Jones learned from Father Divine was sidestepping bullshit. And uh, in these cults, people kind of have to just go with it. And I think that was also an Elvis song. <laughs> sidestepping bullshit? Pretty sure. Sounds yeah, more like people- a Wailing Jennings song. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so these people in these cults, they have to lie to themselves and say like, oh, of course, like that totally makes sense. How could I have ever doubted right. this guy? Because as we always say with cults, to question the leader is to question every decision you've made up mm. to that point since joining up. Scientology being the obvious example of this. Right. Yeah, I mean, after Scientology specifically, because you put in 75000 bucks, 100000 bucks. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a, that's a horrible decision. It's always about money. And Jim Jones yep. has already set the... He, what we're talking about, like, even just joking around, is that he did plant the seed at the very beginning of doing the... Money's not important. Money's not important. Just give me your money. Right. Just give me your money. Money's not important. I must have it, though. Yeah. That's and that's an the interesting thing, thing. Is that at first, all that money did go back into the coffers. It did go back into these socialist principles. Uh, but as they started getting more and more money, mm-hmm. and as they started really getting big, that money suddenly stopped going back into the socialist uh, people's right. coffers. Like it, there was a ceiling on how much the people got. But I think when they, when Jonestown finally went down, they found all of the different bank accounts that mm-hmm. uh, Jim Jones had been holding. I think it was somewhere around ten million dollars. Wow, that they had in their coffers. And still flavor aid. <laughs> still flavor aid. Gatorade. Yep. I mean, but that's how. But think about this. That's what. What's his name? The uh, who's the um, the guy who looks like a big 
big white testicle with the hair on top of it. The billionaire. Steve Forbes? Oh, uh, Sheldon Adelson? Warren Buffett. Warren <laughs> All of them look exactly the same. But Warren Buffett gets the same breakfast sandwich every day for two forty nine from Hardee's. Yep, yep. That's how billionaires keep their money. Just a common man like you and I. <laughs> well, as far as uh, seeing people who had already said yes to the bullshit, Jim Jones saw that and followed Divine's people. And also in that, he saw a shortcut. Hmm. He saw a very easy way to build his own congregation. See, Father Divine was getting on up in the years. Mm -hmm. So Jim's plan was to wait until Father Divine died. And when he did... He'd first convince sweet angel divine that just like her, uh -oh. father divine had jumped bodies. Brilliant. But this time he jumped to Jim Jones. Look at yeah. that. That's Why easy. wouldn't you want to be instead of a stinky, <laughs> creepy guy who runs soup kitchens? And he was going to do that, but unfortunately, he met the same fate as Jim Carrey did in Liar Liar. Where what he was, was that? cursed. Wasn't he cursed, or did he flip a coin? How did he get that curse? His, His son, son made, made a, a wish. birthday wish. <laughs> that's what happened. That's because what that's happened what happens when your father isn't there. If you make a wish on a birthday candle, uh, it comes true, but in reality, it doesn't. No, <laughs> not once. That's the, no. Well, yeah, but that's the thing, is that if Jim Jones got Sweet Angel on his side, then People's Temple would absorb the divine-run international peace mission movement, and their rolls off the tongue. International <laughs> peace. See, that's the that's the problem, man. That's why we know People's Temple, but we don't know the international peace miss mission movement. You can't yeah. even say you just you trip over it every we have, time. We have brand muffins or brand muffins. <laughs> Do you want a brand muffin or we have a brand muffin? It's magical thinking that also works with advertising. It's about mm -hmm. a thing that just punches. Absolutely. Yeah. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with Horse picks. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders... I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Uh, but that opportunity would not come for a few years yet. Mm -hmm. Follow Divine still had a little life yet, and Jim was nowhere near ready to take something like that on. He hadn't proved himself yet. Mm -hmm. He was still building his team. Now, what's telling about the followers of Jim Jones is that a lot of the people that ended up being his most loyal, the ones who essentially served the Flavor Aid, had joined up in those early Indianapolis years. Mm -hmm. 
These are the people that saw Jim Jones at his best before the dark times. And I think even up till the end, they were still expecting that person who started soup kitchens in Indianapolis to come back. Mm. You know what it was, I mean, in my estimation, that we'll get into later when we obviously cover Guyana, but they talk about the, <clears throat> the congregation of People's Temple. They were a fun group of lively, sweet people and I think a lot of what kept these people in the fold was the crowd that Jim Jones had built like and there's that there's that there it's 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 weird how far you can go for Mm -hmm. a congregation like really belonging to a group of people that's like one thing that us kind of people like me as a Satanist like you know we don't Satanists don't hang out. You know what I mean? It's like well, it it's not like a, a fun time to hang out. Desire for community. Yeah. Satanists it's, it's all crushing just, loneliness is what you're describing. Yes, basically, Satanists all just sit around and correct each other on their grammar and talk about how mad they are about statues. It is very, very difficult. I can see why you'd want to stay in. Yeah, sure. But it's also like being in a bad relationship where he's like, I knew him when he was good. Exactly. Yeah, no, no. I mean, a cult can, we've talked about this and we talked about this in pretty much every cult we've talked about. Being in a cult is like being in an abusive relationship. You know, and these people, you know, when you talk about like the, Henry talks about like the good times, the good times people, there's this fantastic resource on the internet. It's like the Jonestown Project mm-hmm. where it's run by uh, an historian uh, that's put together all of these different stories from all of these different former members of People's Temple. And I read a lot of these mm-hmm. testimonials and a lot of them will make these lists of like, these were the good times. Yeah, it's like being a New York Giants fan. <laughs> you just think about the Super Bowls. You just think about beating the Patriots. Meanwhile, you're just like staring at a three-win season. Yeah, and Eli Manning just happened to be sort of like a, uh, he was sort of like a Rudy. He he was, was like a Forrest Gump of football where just good things just happened to him. Boom. Henry Zabrowski, hot football uh, takes. Thank hot you. takes. Thank yeah, you. I'm not, getting better. It, I yeah. think it was good. It's accurate. Is it accurate? Yes, because yeah. the guy is gumpy. <laughs> Let's be honest. And every time he won anything, he was ass backwards and stupid. <laughs> and it's just him going, huh, well, huh, some people's lucky. And Peyton just grinding his teeth every night. He just wakes up screaming, just being like, I was the best quarterback who ever lived. (laughs) Well, perhaps the most fervent of all of those early followers was Patty Cartmel. She was a woman looking for an apocalypse and found it in Jim Jones. A woman looking. That's a hell of a Tinder profile. (laughs) A woman looking for an apocalypse. Yeah. And then you you spell it a pack of lips. (laughs) Oh. Well, what she would do is she would drag her family to revivals all around her area looking Mm. for that guy, that spiritual leader that Mm. was finally going to tell her what to do and was going to tell her how she could be saved. And then when she saw Jim Jones, that was it. All right. He was her guy. Such a strange thing to to actively seek out, but I guess. Yeah. And this this woman, she would be Jones's most devout follower. She would be unquestioning and obviously smitten with Jim Jones even after Jim Jones later put her in charge of what he called his fuck schedule. Oh my god. What is he that said about? That, <laughs> he said that she was too heavy for him to sleep with. She was a very large woman. She said that he said that she was too heavy for him to sleep with and he said, so instead of having sex with you, I'm going to give you even a better thing. You're going to be in charge of all the women I fuck. Well, how is that a better <laughs> thing? She loved it. 
<laughs> I gotta say, this guy had something going for him. The same as Guy Fieri. <laughs> Watch Triple D and, st- and when he interviews female cooks, they look at him. They look through his soul. They love Guy Fieri. It's the opposite. I feel like they're fine with no, it. They it's love more him. Like, you know what surprised me was Guy's big project was him dealing with the new uh, uh, Food Network stars. He's he's very in control of what what he does, and he gives he, very solid, constructive notes to those people. Yes, he does. Eat, sleep, barbecue. Pretty good show. <laughs> well, Jim was building his team. He also brought his mother along. She showed up and immediately got a job as a prison guard at the local women's prison. Wow. And over the years, she would talk to anyone who'd listen about the early days of Jimba. Jimba. And- <laughs> it's a perfect name now that, uh, in hindsight. And she would die in Jonestown prior to the mass murder, still believing that her drug-addled, paranoia-fueled son had grown into a great man. Uh, Another good thing about the Road to Jonestown by Jeff Gwynn was the way they kind of explained how churches work. Like, mm-hmm. the more learning about how congregations are made where it's like again so we went from revivals or open mics to him having his own show at his own church but then what you want to do is get that church affiliated to a bigger network of church like joining a union where Mm -hmm. essentially you want to be able to join a other network of churches that then you can say are also connected to your church so that you get more legitimacy and that you can become an official pastor. So that's what he did. He was on his way to being an official pastor, but he had to get a bachelor's degree. And the other thing is they said, it's like your whole personal life is garbage. You need to figure out, you need a better image because he was trying to join up to a higher network. And so he's like, fuck, I got to get my mom back into play. So he Mm -hmm. hadn't talked to his moms for years. And then she showed up and she's like, oh, you're a celebrity. (laughs) <laughs> Let me show up. She was like right. a she was like a, a Fanning. She was like a so, Dakota Fanning's mom. Is he trying to do what Ray Kroc did with McDonald's? To, I'm serious. Is he franchising? That the, doesn't the come cult? until later. But yeah, okay. I mean that's that's eventually what he yeah. tries to do. You mean one of the best businessmen to ever exist, Ray Kroc? We're in the real estate business, not the burger business. What? That's that whole freaking stupid movie. By the way, I love that movie. I, I love that hate movie. Him so much. I rooted I for him. him such I a love movie and he put the real mcdonald's brothers out of business he was the only smart person in that whole fucking Dude, they were uh, just all fucking people they just figured out how to put ketchup on five burgers at once yeah and then he just destroyed their lives for no yeah. reason he did what businessmen do the million dollars you have to though. fucking shoot for the what do you think oprah has done who will soon be president uh, by the way hopra is what i'm calling her because yeah. she's wow. the only hope so we brave. got no she did so brave. Don't we? We'll talk about it later. <laughs> We're marching toward even further towards Dyst- dystopia. Hopra. <laughs> Dyst- dystopia, that's what I call it. Ooh, dystopia. As long as Oprah's involved. <laughs> well, as far as uh, joining up with the bigger church went, eventually he did get there. He joined up. I think they were called the first disciples of Christ. Eventually he did join up with mm. them. But even more than uh, just legitimizing him in the eyes of his congregants, it also got him that ever-elusive, tax-exempt status. Boom, boom. That's the crazy thing. Uh, Henry, you mentioned getting a bachelor degree. How does that, like, do you think that God, if you are going to be the spokesperson for him, is like, you have to get your education first? (laughs) Do you think that he cares about the college, the university Uh, system? He's not going to take an AA because anybody can get an AA. Half the people you see at a 7-Eleven have an AA. You know what I mean? (laughs) I guess. Well, in building up his image, Jim and Marceline also started building their own family, even though he and Marceline had already failed at taking care of a child. Back in 1952, Jim Jones had unsuccessfully tried to adopt Marceline's 11-year-old cousin, Ronnie. 
Ronnie had come from a broken home, but had always hoped to return one day. But Jim decided Ronnie now belonged to him, and that hmm. Jim could raise him better than anyone else could. So Jim started gaslighting the kid, telling him that his mother didn't love him anymore, he could never return home, they didn't want him there, so you need to stay with me. But the hmm. kid didn't buy it. He was smart enough to see through Jim Jones's bullshit. Um, but Papa when- Jim, uh, I just want to say, number one, I'll... Uh- Love what you're doing, love the house, love all, the, love being here, love the bed, love the food, huh? But I'm not a free agent. I don't know if you don't know that kids aren't just like waiting to be like adopted. They can't just be like randomly ass adopted. They, like I need to like be, I, like, I got a mom. You know what I mean? I'm going to go back. So the kid rejected him. Yeah. And, wow. when, and when Ronnie finally decided to leave, Jim took it as an ultimate betrayal yeah. as he would any time anyone tried to leave him over the years he always took it personally Hmm. and he always got real fucking mean about it Hmm. i mean later on in the later years in jonestown i mean he'd put guns up to people's heads right so the home stayed childless for another six years until the joneses adopted their first child 10 year old agnes all right now agnes is an interesting character in this story not because of what she did but because of how absent she seems to be for most of it Hmm. Because Agnes just never really fit into the whole Jones scene for some reason. And all throughout the story, all you get from Agnes is pretty much, oh, and also Agnes was there. And she was at Jonestown during uh, the, the tragedy? That's, that that's one of the saddest things about it is that oh, even my. though she was never truly a part of it, her and her brother Lou were the only two of the five Jones children to die at oh. Jonestown. She was a real Jan Brady. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, I believe also Jan Brady committed suicide. I think that there's a later on possible. Brady Bunch s- service where Jan Brady committed suicide, which is pretty dark. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> tough to combine families like that. Well, the kids that survived were Jim's biological son, Stephen, which is spelled Stefan. No. But still spelled, but, well, because they had. P-H? P-H, A-N, yeah. Well, the reason why his name was Stefan was because they had adopted another little girl named Stephanie, but she died in a car crash. Also, um, for a while, he was really, really nerdy, but he invented this crazy machine where he could go down into it and he popped out. He was all cool. (laughs) Um, And so at first, it was was Stefan. But as soon as he came out of the machine, he was Stefan. (laughs) Families do matter, don't they? Laura. <laughs> and the other kids that survived were the adopted sons, Tim and Jim Jr. Now, Jim Jr. was the first black child adopted by a white couple in Indiana. That white couple. Really? Yeah. Yep. Jim Jones and Marceline. Wow. First white couple to adopt a black kid in Indiana and India's entire history. And along Jeez. with the Korean Lou and the Native American Agnes... Jim Jr. was the last addition to what the Joneses called their rainbow family. Honestly, it's like the United Nations. I <laughs> love Technically, this it wasn't a really a rainbow family. It was mostly a lot of beiges and browns. It looked more like a Kardashian's closet because beiges and browns are really on trend right now. A true rainbow family is uh, on Sesame Street because you got yes, purples and you true. got blues and you got yellows and you got oranges. But it, it is another example, though, and I have to give credit here. He's walking the walk. He is absolutely yep. walking the walk. Yeah, he I really mean, he is. He's doing it on the surface. He's making political choices. A part of this got to be because they had an open conversation. Him and Marceline said they wanted the picture of their family. Right. Like when they take a picture for it to look good, which is, yeah. again, when you're making these hollow choices on some level, it's great because, it, you know, just literally on a, a very shallowly you're doing really wonderful things you are and you and then right. actively it becomes really nice and good and forward thinking but in the end he's only doing it for the picture 
but mm-hmm. he's still doing it. And yeah. also, that picture matters. Look what happened when Mike Huckabee and his family was photo- <laughs> photographed together. <laughs> that derailed everything. Well, that was their own fault for wearing the matching shirts. They also <laughs> need to wear fitted pants. Better pants. <laughs> Cover the gunt. You don't want to show your the whole fucking fupa. Spell. I don't need my fucking a leader of the free world to have a 25-pound fupa. This isn't the 1920s know. anymore. <laughs> so by 1961, Jim Jones had formed a pretty good crew. He had loyal followers, he was a family man, and he was gaining political influence. And with those followers' help, Jim Jones got to work on the system itself, grassroots style. And through careful manipulation of business owners, administrators, and local government officials, Jim Jones almost single-handedly began the peaceful desegregation of restaurants, hospitals, wow. and the workforce in Indianapolis. That is true. It Incredible. Is very demonstrable uh, progress. Yeah. It was interesting how he did it, too. He'd go to the businesses. He'd say, so you're going to uh, desegregate your restaurants, and we're going to... He would come in with black people. like, And he'd be like, okay, we're going to sit at the table that you always give me, because you know me from around the community. And they say, well, no, we can't sit them. And he's just like, no, you, you have to sit them down and be like, well, you're embarrassing me. I'm a pinnacle of this. I'm a, I'm a part of the society. I'm a big... Like, people are watching me get kicked out of right. this restaurant. And then he'd go back and be like, listen, we're going to make an arrangement here. You're going to desegregate this, and I'm going to fill this whole restaurant. Say, okay. Yeah. And so he'd go right. away. He'd come back with half the congregation and just blow out the place. Like, just yeah, fill right. it up. And he did it again and again. Yeah. And he'd do it at, like, 3 p.m. He'd do it in off hours. Right. So he'd do it in the, the times that these people weren't making money anyway. Uh, so he'd do it in the off hours. And he would pay for all the meals of the people that he brought along. Wow. So everybody... Everybody was winning. And then after that, they would put up flyers around in the black neighborhood saying, like, this business is friendly towards you. You can right. go to this business and you can go to this business and have uh, a meal. That's how crazy racism is. These uh, business owners are staring at empty restaurants, but they're like, at least it's white ghosts that are feeling. <laughs> it's like that's how dumb they were, or how blinded they were. It's like, yeah. fill it up, man. Yeah. But also yeah. remember, the temple was not paying for them. The, the temple was not paying for their meals. They were actually paying for their meals. Right. They had of given course, every yeah. single thing that they owned to the temple. Right. Just a bizarre, like, middle manager for life. Yeah. But that's the thing, though, that it wasn't like Jim Jones was just doing all this out of the goodness of his heart. It was that in part, but none of this came without a price. In exchange for all that he did for his congregation, Jim Jones demanded their unwavering loyalty. And this wasn't just loyalty to him. It was loyalty to socialism as well. Hmm. If a member was acting in a manner that was selfish or materialistic, then they were to be reported directly to Jim Jones himself. Uh-oh. And by selfish and materialistic, they mean like going to see a movie yeah. or buying mm. a new shirt. I see. So really kind of isolating them now. Very much so. Now, back in those days, the punishment was pretty tame. They'd pretty much just be stood up in front of everyone and yelled at a lot. That's a lot, though. It sucks, mm-hmm. but it is nothing compared to the rubber hoses and boxing matches that came later. Kind of fun. The box? Yeah. Sounds kind of fun. <laughs> in, a way, in a way, it does sound fun, but... Isn't most of his congregation elderly yes. women? How kind of, be kind of fun. Put them in a boxing ring? Think about this. What? You get a couple of 80-year-old women, you tape a couple of, like, could, like what's it, the, the stove gloves, some... some uh, sure, oven mitts. Some oven mitts. You duct tape them to our hands, and they gotta slap each other until the first one falls, first fall win, 
That's a show. <laughs> I would like that. Honestly, the fact that you just said it and suggested it to the world, I believe it probably is your show right now yeah. on TLC right after my 600-pound life. <laughs> well, it wasn't mostly elderly women. It was just Slapping a- Slapping grannies. <laughs> it was a, a large part of it was elderly women, yes, but there mm. were uh, a ton of people in it that were you know, just you know, regular folks. Sure. Fighting elderly women. <laughs> I like it, yeah. It's kind of fun. Now, surprisingly, Jim Jones, who was a legitimate leader of integration, didn't have that many enemies. You'd think he would, but he really didn't. In fact, most people seem to enjoy him. But another thing Jones learned from Father Divine is that a leader is nothing if he does not have enemies. Right. And since nobody else was going to take the first shot at Jones, he had to take it himself, staging what was to be the first of many fake assassination attempts. Wow. Yeah, man. And this first one was pretty simple. From what it sounds like, he just walked out his front door, fired a bullet in one of the pillars on his front porch, and ran back into the house yelling that someone had taken a shot at him. God, I wish I could see the footage of that. God. <laughs> what a great liar. Because you know what it's about right. that lie, too, Amazing. is that obviously it's a bad lie, but it's kind of fun that he just did it. And they probably yeah. watched him walk out of the house because it was filled <laughs> with people. The house was both a nursing home and the house was filled with kids. He just walked out of it, shot the pillar, then oh, 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 ran inside. Just like, oh, we're getting shot at. They're like, you have have a gun on you. Oh, he put the gun in my hand. He must have been Nightcrawler. <laughs> yeah, it was, Always blaming the X-Men. <laughs> and when the cop showed up, it was very obvious to him, to them, what he'd done. So they were like, funny. they were like, yeah, you just shot it, right? Like, right. you know, but then when Jim went to church that Sunday, he had a new story to tell. Uh -oh. He had a new urgency to the cause. He had a new enemy, a faceless enemy, and he had proof that God was protecting him. Uh -oh. And twofold. Not only did a stranger try to shoot me, but also the cops didn't do anything about it. So now yep. you have two new enemies that you could go blink, blink. He told his whole fucking act from Father Divine. Yeah, I see. Yeah. I can I can see why this is compelling. Yeah, and not only did the cops not do anything for me, but they didn't do anything for me just like they never do anything for you. For you. Right, bam, right. bam, yep. clickety-clack, bring it back around. Call back, learn how to do improv. This is technically <laughs> him doing Harold work. Right, <laughs> bring it back, circle it around. Well, Jim, at this time, also got a new enemy overseas, but this one was more of an all-encompassing, unstoppable monster. Who's Godzilla? What's going on? Russia! No. Russia? <laughs> uh, how are the Russians involved? No. This, is the, <laughs> this is the early 60s. Cold War's in full oh, swing, my. man. And Jones, like a lot God, of Americans... I, I miss the Cold War. Uh, Good we're about to get days. a new one. Don't worry, Kissel. It'll be fun. <laughs> Hide under your desk when the bomb comes. That'll work. <laughs> oh, yeah. So have you guys had the conversation with your significant other, the planning conversation? No plans happening in my house. <laughs> whatever. As soon as anything looks unstable, rampage. Don't worry. The, whatever is the, the, the rickety crate of bombs that they put on the raft that they push from North Korea towards L.A., once it arrives... To the beach, then I'll be upset. Then I'll be yes. very scared. <laughs> well, Jim Jones, like a lot of Americans, got pretty obsessed with the possibility of nuclear war yeah. with the Ruskies. Oh, yeah. And pretty soon, word around People's Temple was they had to get out of Indy and they needed to do it yesterday. I heard it was called Shitty Indy by somebody. <laughs> 
Now, I agree with Jeff Gwynn in The Road to Jonestown when he says that Jones's fear of nuclear war was genuine. Mm. He oh, was, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was a naturally paranoid person, and this fed into that perfectly. Now, this wasn't like Charles Manson talking about helter-skelter and the race war and all that so he could convince a bunch of young girls to move out to the desert and ride dude and ride dune buggies with them all day because that was his best possible life. Uh, right. It was. It was an incredible <laughs> idea, and he fucked it up. He didn't do it right. It was all really could have been great. <laughs> but this stuff, I mean, this is what InfoWars is based on. Yeah. This is why Alex Jones sells a tactical bath, which is evidently <laughs> oh. a weapons-grade bath uh, I, uh, soap that you can use. God, I tell I you what, if whatever bath. makes me look like him, I'm buying. I'm about to get uh-huh. that protein powder. <laughs> well, Jones wasn't bullshitting like Mads. His protein powder actually has semen-killing chemicals. <laughs> Great. It had to be recalled. The vitality pills on InfoWars. Oh, the ultimate irony is it kills you. It's great. You can fucking, 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 you don't have to have a child. <laughs> <laughs> well, unlike Manson, who was lying about all this shit, Jones had a very real fear here. He said mm. that he had a prophetic vision, which me and you would probably just call a nightmare, right. that Indianapolis would be destroyed in a nuclear blast on an undetermined date at either 3.09 a.m., Huh. Or 3.09 p.m. Oh. And he knew it was 3.09. Very good specifics. Yeah, very good specifics without being specific at all. Yeah. Now, because of this, Jim Jones started scouting new locations for People's Temple. And this is when he took his first trip to Guyana. And that's oh. what I found out. It's actually pronounced Guyana. Thank not you. Guyana. Yeah, yeah. Guyana. Oh. Guyana. Right. The reason why he went to Guyana uh, was because Guyana was going to be a socialist country. Mm. Uh, it was right down in South America, but the thing was is that it was still new, it was unstable, so Jones decided that the time wasn't quite right for that, but he kept it in his thoughts. Okay. So Jim Jones was going to Guyana as far back as uh, 1961. Scouting it out. Scouting huh? it out. Live your dreams. Yeah, and Jim Jones was coming up empty with ideas, but luckily... He was an Esquire reader. Ooh, Esquire. And in 1962, they published an article that named nine locations in the world that would most likely escape destruction or fallout in the event of a nuclear war. And even back in 1962, they still had Gerard Butler on the cover of Esquire magazine. (laughs) He is the only person allowed on the cover of that magazine. Strange article, How to Kill Your Followers. (laughs) Esquire. Now, even though Eureka, California, which was on the list, was just a hop, skip, and a jump away, relatively speaking, Uh Jim decided that he'd want to take his chances down in Brazil. Oh. And so he left the church in the care of his associate pastors and took his family to Belo Horizonte. It does sound like this. I'm not really sure. Every time I listen to, like, Portuguese stuff, Portuguese stuff sounds so fun and, and fancy. Just like, hello, welcome to Brazil. <laughs> but it's because it's a different thing than just normal Spanish. And I yeah, don't get it. Portuguese. It's like, it's it's like, like totally alien di- Spanish. It's Portuguese. It's a totally different language. I know, German, but it's just like German Spanish. German is the weirdest sounding comes- Russian. You know? I've always said that. I know enough Spanish to like, I could read it and recognize it. I could hear some and understand it. But then with the with Portuguese, it's like, I don't understand any of this. It's like, right. it's like a Burger King menu in Brazil. Well, you go down there and like, I know what these sandwiches look like, but none of them are spelled with this many U's and Z's <laughs> at home. Yeah, I was on a, a House Hunters International. There was it was Brazil. I'm intimidated. Yeah, I can't go. <laughs> Everyone is so beautiful. Yeah. The beach. You gotta have a beach bod. We do not belong in Rio. We are not built go, for Rio. I can handle Brazil because I got a big butt. Yes, <sighs> you have a big butt. But they would use you, you for Texas it. Texas size stomach. If for, if you're very. My stomach's flat. No, no, it's getting there. It's getting there. All right. 
It would just be Kissel walking around because technically you have to wear a full white linen suit and a white fedora, and you'd, I, you'd be walking around pointing at other elderly, seemingly foreign men, some 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 <laughs> Central European men that would tip their hat to you, and you tip their hat back and be like, "Secret safe." <laughs> secret safe with me. I won't tell oh, I see. Here. You're making a Nazi joke. Guten yes. Morgen, meine Freunde. I get it. <laughs> Took me a second, but I just figured, oh, it's another one of those. <laughs> well, Jones figured that with as many poor people as Brazil had, he could pull off the same trick he'd done in Indianapolis. Hmm. But when he got there, he found that the missionary business in Brazil had a bit of a glut. Yeah, Uh-oh. that's like me. Like, I'm starting to do, I did some cardio work on a trampoline, and then all of a sudden I'm like, I think I'm ready from top of the ceiling aerials. <laughs> like, when you go down to Brazil, the poor community of Brazils are not the same as Indianapolis. Right, no. right. No, I would assume much, much uh, more economic in, in need. Well, there's a lot more economic in need, but there's also so many fucking missionaries. It's, uh, like, it's like trying to move to L.A. to be an actor, but right. not knowing anybody in L.A. and also not being able to speak English. That's right. That's why I say if you're an actor, stay in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Stay there. <laughs> Big fish, small pond. You could be the music man every year when they do the music man every, every single year. year. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, there were too many people there. Jones couldn't get a foothold, and he didn't even speak Portuguese. Oh, well, yeah, there's no way. Yeah, yeah you just only... know it's easy to speak Portuguese. You put U's and Z's in normal Spanish. <laughs> I think that's a Polish version of Portuguese, which isn't actually Portuguese. <laughs> the only thing that Jones seemed to gain from his time in Brazil was a good yarn. What do you mean? A good story. He got one. <laughs> he did. Oh, it's my. a very good story. Yeah. And in a story he told many times over the years as proof of the kinds of sacrifices he was willing to make for the greater good, Jones said that while he was in Brazil, a diplomat's wife approached him with an indecent proposal of sorts. I'll give you one million dollars to sleep with your dog. <laughs> what? Excuse me? Uh, I'll take 50000 Oh, 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 no. Well, Jones said that at first he refused to acquiesce to her sexual demands, but eventually he agreed, only under the condition that she donate $5,000 to the local orphanage. Yep. That's how good his so- dick was. <laughs> But again, that's good. Yeah, well, the kids then, don't care where it came from. It's not true, Kissel. It's not true. It's, it you don't happen. think that's true? No, no it's tell not it to true. the kids who just got five thousand bucks <laughs> at a local orphanage in Brazil. No woman ever has to offer five thousand dollars to sleep with a pasty-faced Sam the Eagle-looking motherfucker <laughs> who shows up, and you're gonna like, it's like, no, 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 no. She could have been with a Brazilian man with a six-inch tongue yeah. whose hips can swivel like he's an action figure. Yeah. That's <laughs> That's a good point, like a He-Man action figure. Yeah, and every time Jim Jones told this story, he never failed to make sure that everyone knew that he delivered no less than pure physical ecstasy, a job well done for a job well paid. I believe it. I don't think so. I think that if he had sex, he had sex with like a like a jackhammer. Like you see those big weird Russian porn star guys. They're like, pam, 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 oh, and then it's over in 30 seconds. Yeah, they, all, they look like a Rusev from the WWE. <laughs> Well, the point of this story was that sometimes you have to bend your morals for the greater good. And not only was it okay, but it was almost more impressive if you got your hands dirty. Because in sacrificing your morals, you were sacrificing yourself. Which is a very convenient idea to plant in the mind of your cult. Also, the idea of the individual does not matter. In their in their society, the individual yeah. doesn't matter what one person does doesn't matter. And but I think this story basically come out of the fact is that he went to Brazil and he came up cock up like he showed up 
to Brazil, and then he was like, oh, shit. I fucked up. He's right. been two years there. Okay. And but he still has a wife here at this point, right? They're in The whole family is right, in Brazil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They went from uh, Belo Horizonte, Ooh. and then eventually they went up to Rio for a little while, oh. and they had no luck there either. So, yeah, they'd been there for two years. And back in Indy, mm. People's Temple was falling apart mm. because it wasn't really the message that brought people there and kept people there. It was Jim Jones. Right. And without that charisma, there was nothing to hold the church mm. together. Infighting split the whole thing up. Associate pastors took congregants elsewhere. And when Jones returned to Indianapolis, People's Temple membership was a fraction of what it mm. once had been. And furthermore, desegregation in the city had continued along just fine without him. And a lot of people had taken up where he'd left off in the community outreach area. In other words, when Jim Jones came back to Indianapolis, he was out. And this drove him fucking nuts. Yeah. The part of me, like, I honestly almost mm. understand because he did a lot of fucking hard work. And when he showed up and the, and the city was getting desegregated, he was trying to get back on the Human Rights Human Rights Commission, which was he was doing for a while uh, in the city. And when he showed back up, they're like, oh, we don't need you. They just took all his work and jumped with it. So mm. he was left with nothing. And this is, to me, we, we've talked about this. We'll, we'll talk about this, too. I really do think this was like a turning point for him when oh. he came back. I absolutely agree that this was the turning point. I mean, this is because the one thing that we know about Jim Jones, the one thing that we'll definitely learn a lot more later on, is that he could not accept failure. And he could never admit that he was wrong. And in fact, you could possibly say that's why Jonestown ended the way it did, because he could not accept that he had failed. Well, also the feelings that came up. I think that a lot of times as people, like you probably understand this, where it's like, you know when uh, when something happens and you don't understand why you're you get you have a certain reaction. It was oh, like yeah. uh, when I, for some reason I involuntarily cried to the song Baker Street. There's a song <laughs> that song Baker was Street. That one I cry at that song all the time. And obviously there's something in there that I don't know why. I don't know why. So when Jim Jones showed up and the temple had fallen apart, his rage spoke to him because he showed up and realized, oh fuck. I can't stand watching anybody else share in the leadership or in the credit of this association. Like, I did so much work with my fucking blood, sweat, and tears. Um, Also, saying that I'm wrong. Also, uh, the fact that I'm not in control. Seeing somebody else at the pulpit made him a fucking crazy person. I understand. Yeah, Yeah, makes sense. He built it. Yeah, he absolutely built it. And as far as admitting he was wrong, you know, like... The only reason why he was able to come back from Brazil to the United States was because JFK got shot in the fucking head. Hmm. He used that as an excuse. He said, all right, things are going real bad back in the United States. I need to get back. I need to be with my congregation. If he wouldn't have had that excuse, he might have languished in Brazil until People's Temple just disintegrated Hmm. because he was not about to just come back with his tail between his legs uh, and say, hey, guys, I'm sorry I failed. Because in order for Jim Jones to work as Jim Jones, he had to be infallible. And that's why the speech that he gave or the sermon he gave after the JFK assassination was entitled Big If True. And he went went in and he really broke it all down. I think Ted Cruz's father was named. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Jim Jones here, he failed on a lot of different levels. Mm. He failed to build a community in Brazil. He failed to keep his congregation together back home. And he failed to keep his place as a civic leader. And so from that point on, he controlled 
everything. And he'd always been a control freak, but now he truly had a say in every decision, no matter how small. And all this was fueled by his paranoia because, you know, control and paranoia go hand in hand. A lot of times, I know one of the reasons why I could be a control freak sometimes is because I'm a very paranoid person. I get where he's coming from. We're really learning a lot about you guys today. (laughs) Henry Zabrowski weeps like a child when it comes to 80s romance ballads. And Marcus is a control freak. We are, though, but it's a part of what you do. Imagine this. I think that's what's important about this story, too. What is your worst quality blown up to its to its edges? That's what a cult leader kind of em, em, embodies. Where, mm-hmm. like, Jim Jones' need right. for control, his psychopathic need for control is what's going to change everything. It's going to change right. the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, as far as— I get it, though. Yeah, I totally get Everyone it. Everyone yeah. failed him. Yeah, and—, and even more than that, not only did they fail, they'd actually taken members away from him. They had actually they betrayed him. Yeah. Like they had yeah. they had stolen people away from his congregation, and he would never let that happen again. And that anger fueled him from then on. See, before he'd left, he had an afternoon radio show from 4.45 to 5 p.m. on WIBC. Uh, was it a 15-minute radio show? <laughs> 15 minutes? Well, he paid for it. Oh, yeah. yeah, but, also, yeah it was but this a, was like his podcast. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, he, okay. had a, he had a pocket. Yeah, it was daily. No, it was. Uh, I think. Yeah, I think it was daily. Okay. Yeah, four forty-five, five p.m. I like that. In and out. In and out. Get the message in. Take it out. Yeah, and it was mostly positive before yeah. he left for Brazil, and then when he left, you know, one of his associate pastors took it over, kept the fires warm. Uh. But when Jim Jones came back, he went straight for socialism, cut out the Bible altogether, wow. and started hinting that he just might be a prophet. Oh. Most people did not buy that bullshit, and Jones had his show taken away from him because he was starting to get a little aggressive. I heard he might be a prophet. (laughs) (laughs) So really, it was starting to become obvious to even Jones himself that he'd worn out his welcome in Indianapolis. Jeez. And so he returned to the same Esquire article he'd ran to for answers before. (laughs) His trusty Esquire. Is it just on the back of his toilet, just like waiting? (laughs) It's like the golden Esquire. What is going on? He checked that out, and he took another look at Eureka, California, which I'm surprised they didn't take a look at that before they went to Brazil. You'd think they'd send someone out there. But they looked at Eureka, California, and just a little south of that, halfway between Eureka and San Francisco, Jones found a little town called Ukiah. And a scouting mission gave intel that the location was perfect. And so Jones started convincing his followers to take their first exodus. He gave them three reasons to go. Fear, opportunity, or guilt. If you weren't afraid of being killed in a nuclear blast, then, not- you, then you'd at least be living a better life in sunny California. Oh, I want that. Yeah, it's nice in California. And if you were already living a good life in Indianapolis... Then it was because of Jim Jones, and you owed him. I do. <laughs> yeah. It all works. <laughs> I've done the math. It checks out. This was also a complete lift from Father Divine again, because mm-hmm. Father Divine had gotten to a lot of trouble in New York and moved the entire congregation to Philly. And also, it is the first mm. allowance of total control to Jim Jones. As mm. soon as you enter mm. into a Greyhound bus with 70 other farting <laughs> elderly You're in people. It. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> to go across the country, you're already fucked. I mean, they, this is their—it's their first compound. They are officially in the cult territory. Six, 1965, wow. Jim Jones took about a hundred people, little less, and moved them all to Redwood Valley, right outside of Ukiah. 
If I was making this a movie, I'd have him read that article and then turn the page in Esquire, and then it would be an advertisement for for uh, big old sunglasses. Yeah. And he'd, he'd buy those, and then back in business starts playing. Well, that's also true because after meeting Father Design, he started dressing better and he started wearing the sunglasses. They were on. Oh, that, it, so it, now we're we're in glasses territory. Not quite. Not he's quite. Not quite. He's, still, not quite. Well, he's going back and forth with the sunglasses. Okay. Like after Father Divine, he started like, hey, I kind of like these sunglasses right. a little bit. But we're not in sunglass territory just yet. We're Maybe still, he's losing them a little. We're about five years away okay. from sunglasses. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Well, the thing was about Ukiah is there wasn't really much for Jim Jones to actually do. See, with Indianapolis, he had a population in need. And for that matter, he had a population. Right. Ukiah had only about 15,000 people, and most of those people were white and wanted nothing to do with People's Temple, who at mm. this time were mostly black. Well, it is very isolationalist. When they Where they moved out was in the middle of the Redwood Forest. Oh, they went okay. out there, and it's gorgeous. It's really yeah, nice, it but it's like fucking it. isolated. And these are these are also people. These are pro Vietnam War people. This is a, a very deep Trump country in in Northern California that they just huh. roll in with these buses filled with black people, and they're like, "Whoa!" Yeah, and these are also uh, these are also like black people that are looking for uh, equal shake in the country. And all these people in Ukiah uh, were all looking at like and thinking like, "Oh well, well black people who complain, they're just not grateful for what they got." Right, you right, know, right. and so they were not welcome in Ukiah it's a big Valley, state, California. All. It's not all L.A. Yeah, and Jones, he got a few more people to come along from Indianapolis by actually setting a date for nuclear destruction, July of 1967. Oh. but that only brought about 50 more people, and to keep them there, he doubled down on nuclear destruction. He even told them that he had a special cave up in the hills all ready to go when the inevitable happened, not unlike Charlie Manson's hole in the ground where his followers would go to wait out the race war. All right. You what know was what? in a hole in the ground? That was a, it was an underground city, right? Yeah, it's like, it's like don't you worry. You get down there, it's, there's, there's a 7-Eleven down there. I, I, I haven't checked it out personally, but I heard the taquitos are fresh every other day. <laughs> Ooh, roller taquitos. Caves? Have a big hold on the human mind. There yeah. is like there, there's something oh, it's about primal. The, it's 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 in our DNA. It's been used forever. The idea of we'll go hide in a cave, and it sounds kind of fun because in my mind I imagine Looney Tunes. I imagine cuddly bears in a cave. I imagine the Herculoids. What are those? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what the reality of a cave is? It's slimy. Oh, yeah. it's not great. It's not dry in a cave. No, it's, it's wet. Yes, bugs eating dung. <laughs> I hate it. But you know who didn't have a cave? Who? Indianapolis. They didn't? No caves in Indianapolis. Oh, man. You have to have a cave installed. <laughs> Maybe there's a, uh, an adult entertainment club called the Indianapolis Cave. <laughs> <laughs> Do not go. But even though the people who came with Jones had devotion, the one thing they didn't have was money. You know, sure, they gave everything they had, and a lot of them sold their houses and gave all the money they made to people simple and they moved, Man. naturally, but that wasn't enough. So Jim Jones shifted his recruiting pool from black and poor to rich and white. After all, uh, what a shift. <laughs> really 180'd that one. And knew how to do it. Wow. Because after all, man has a compound to pay for now. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so Jones started recruiting those people who would become disillusioned with society, educated people who wanted something more fair and just. Sure. These were people who didn't really have problems, but they recognized that others did and they wanted to help. Because mm. none of these people, I mean, none of these people were idiots. You know, the black members needed help and they got it, and the white members wanted to help and they gave it. Right. And in the process, they became a truly integrated community and 
for a time, they were happy. Oh, that's good. Well, because yeah. again, when they showed up, these were the fun times. Like yeah. the beginning, they they kind of talk about this. Like people afterwards, uh, members of the cult were saying, like this was probably the happiest they were because it was this true. Like it was really hand to mouth. Like they didn't have a lot to eat, and they didn't, ha- and they were not the most physically comfortable. But everyone was kind of having a good time. Like they yeah. sang in a bus together across the fucking country. You have to really like a bunch of people when we sit <laughs> yeah. in a uh, a, a airplane. Going across the country, we sit silently in the seats, like and just staring at our phones. (laughs) You can look at people and be like, "I think he's thinking about talking." And if he fucking opens his mouth on this damn plane, I will freak out. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and it was also very small at this time. Like this is before the scene got big. Oh, I see. Yeah, this is when it was cool. This is when it was cool. Well, the thing is about these members is that everyone who came in was carefully screened. They didn't just let oh, anybody really? in. Yeah, Extreme vetting, huh? Extreme, Extreme vetting. <laughs> but like, what would happen is prospective members would be invited to a function and would be kindly interrogated without these people even really knowing what was happening. This one guy said that he was like, it's always they get taken to a second location uh, where he would meet up with one of these people at the with a people's temple, at like a service or something like that. And be like, hey, we're going to go uh, to this sock hop that we're chaperoning. It's like a teenage you know, yeah. dance party. So why don't you come along with us? You know, just hang out. Like, oh, OK, cool. I'll go right. and hang out. And then they go and hang out there and they talk to him a little bit further. And then if they pass the test if they gave jim jones the okay then jones would swoop in and scoop him up with a highly connective personal conversation it's well, like how it. people talk about with like bill clinton mm. like as bill clinton they say he can talk to you in a room full of people and make you feel like y'all are the only two people on the face of the planet mm. jim jones was exactly like that also remember this shit's being done by kindly 70 year old women Right. So they're talking, you're like, oh, you got to try some of the cookies. You've got to. I, I've made them at home. Also, what are you going to do in the event of a nuclear apocalypse? <laughs> hmm? You got the fucking stones to have the AK to fight the secret police? You know, and you have to be like, whoa. <laughs> I like that they sort of transitioned to Dr. Evil at some point uh, in the conversation of giving cookies to the nuclear apocalypse. Yeah, I mean, it, it was older older people as well, but, you know, it was also like a lot of young people. Right. You know, like these were all like college age people. They were These were people in their like 20s and 30s, and this was like the mid 60s. So right. a lot of people, they're doing that whole like back to the country type of thing. It's like we're getting out of the cities. The cities are, are corrupt. They're full of racism and crime and there's so much injustice there. We got to get back to the country and we got to get back. We got to start over essentially. And that's what Jim Jones offered a lot of these young people. And he had he had to do it. They did have to start over. Yeah. And Jim Jones, he was very smart about who he let in. People had to have the right attitude. But that's not Mm. to say they didn't let in people who could be considered undesirable because they actually needed those people, too. They took in drug addicts, troubled teens criminals they helped them clean up their act and they turned their life around for them and jim jones used those types of people to his advantage because those people felt like jim they owed jim jones their lives because in a way they did and that's exactly what Scientology does with Al-Anon and Criminon mm. and all of those side groups is that how many people did Scientology get simply because they got them clean Right. Mm-hmm. It's also exactly what Jigsaw does. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, because he's not about torture. It's about learning, learning a lesson. A lesson. <laughs> yeah. And Jim Jones, he used that loyalty to essentially turn these people 
into soldiers, mm. eventually giving them uniforms and arming them. Wow. Yeah, because I mean, because these people were, you know, they were the drug drug addicts. These were like the hardened street people. Arm so, them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, I mean, these were people who had a more violent past. Right. So he took them and he molded them into essentially weapons that he could use. Are you susceptible to um, to impulsive thinking? Here's a gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and these people, you know, the people that he took off the streets and uh, molded them into something else, molded them to essentially weapons, those are the ones that were lining the pavilion in Ooh. Jonestown. Oof. You know, like these that's were... That's right. I always forget this ends in, like, unbelievable pools of blood it, and mass tragedy. That's why it's an incredible story. It's yeah. because right. it goes from, and it just shows, anything built on a foundation of lies it's going to lead to bad shit. It's just no mm-hmm. matter what the lies are, no matter what you think it is that you're you're headed towards, right. if you live a life filled with, with, with on that kind of shaky foundation, it's going to sink. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not just lies, but allowances as well. Right. You know, like being and now able, they seem to be giving him a lot more. They're giving him a lot more, and there is yeah. a lot more to give. Mm. Uh, as far as like arming people goes, like it's not to say that Jim Jones was militant. He wasn't, at least at that point. Now, the closest they got to like militancy at this point is that in Redwood Valley, they trained a bunch of teenagers in like a little like fun militia thing. And the teenagers' job was when the bombs dropped, they had to get all the old people up to the cave. That's nice. Yeah, it's fun. It's <laughs> Same yes. thing with Om Shinrikyo, how much fun that must have been at doing the drills. Because at some point, you're feeling it, and it's very—it's like the Goonies. It's like Stranger Things. You get yeah. These kids go out there with flashlights. They get, they're in charge of the old people. If they don't fall, can fall in line, you know they were given a secret to direct of just being like, you can hit him with the flashlight. Like, if they struggle, <laughs> you can start pop them a couple times. Well, the and kids like, didn't have guns, but they all had crossbows. Yeah, cool. yeah it's awesome. It's fun. <laughs> it's like the two buggies. You have to have activities. It's like right. doing group tripping. As long as there's fun activities, pool noodles, like one of those big bouncy Ooh. flat things that you jump off the crane. You know, like those big, like, like, like safety bags that you jump off the high dives yes. onto? I've seen people have fun on those. <laughs> well, I think with cults, it's important for us to also talk about the good times. It's important for oh, yeah. us to tell you that, like, no one knows they're joining a cult. Right. Like, no one knows. Like, no one joins these things and think, like, wow, this shit is awful. I'd better stick around. Well, now you got me thinking Chumbo Wumba. I'm thinking tub thumping. <laughs> you got to think yeah. about the good times. Yeah, you never walk into it thinking, like, this is awful. I'm going to stay. Right. You always go into it because people are happy and people are having a good time right you know and then eventually later on that's when the hate comes that's when the paranoia comes and Mm. jim jones was great at injecting that into his followers in very subtle ways it's like if we keep drinking the way we're drinking until we're like 60 you know what i mean because then it's sad alcoholism and now (laughs) we're a good we're good time guys we have good times i mean we're we're on the we're on the cusp here all of us are kind of staring down 40 pretty hard yes oh it's becoming a real issue for me yes. <laughs> yeah i'll tell you that <laughs> oh. well as far as taking the paranoia down to the micro area every once in a while jim jones would say that everyone in the congregation had entered what he called an accident cycle whoa Uh-oh. yeah and that meant that everyone had to be extra careful because jim jones had had a vision that one of them was going to get into a deadly accident and the only way they could avoid it was if they believed in him if someone could only market to the population, maybe like dummies, like crash test dummies. <laughs> dummies. You know, just someone to inform us but entertain us when it comes to driving safety. 
Well, the person to take the fall for one of those accident cycles was a man named Whitey Firestone. Uh oh. Well, that's yeah. what happens when you name yourself after a racial slur. <laughs> And, and a tire. A tire. <laughs> Hi, everyone. My name is Cracker Goodyear. All right. <laughs> I love Cracker word? Goodyear. I Does like a Cracker word? Goodyear. I trust somebody named Cracker Goodyear. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Whitey was one of Jim's trouble members. Seemed like Whitey was always fucking up in one way or another and was always being called up front for a good tongue lashing. Uh-oh. I feel really sad about Whitey Firestone because he reminds me of uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman from Boogie Nights. Yeah. Oh. He's just always the bad luck dude he's right, always right. around like he's just kind of a Fuckin bummer idiot. and he fucks shit up oh, Fucking yes. idiot. oh man r.i.p <laughs> i'm gonna give an r.i.p out there well one night after a particularly rough dressing down in front of the whole congregation whitey accidentally drove his entire family over a cliff quote unquote accidentally <laughs> i honestly do believe that it was like it's not an actual suicide, but it was like a thing. Like he, he just kind of willed it. Yeah, I think it was with Whitey Firestone. I was like, I'm fine with this. Uh, like he can kind of let his yeah. driving hands get a little looser because they, there were actually they were in a valley, yeah, so there were a That's ton. Like these roads were actually you think very he did dangerous. It on purpose? Well, I don't know if he did it on purpose, but I think because he was it, fine with it. Huh. Hey, family, you ever see just how easy it would be to just jerk the wheel? <laughs> Yeah, Daddy, uh, and uh, I'm going to say for one as the son of the group, none of us like the talk. <laughs> well, after they got after they went over a fucking cliff, oh, Jim Jones heard about it. He sped down to the scene, climbed down the ravine, and found the car crushed. And one of why one of why these kids did actually die in this accident. Oh, I thought they all died. I assume they all had passed away. No, nope, one died, but the rest survived. No, he had. They got to live in. In sadness. They literally, oh. he lived in a straight up two like arm slings and a leg cast, just being like, I'm just like, I just shouldn't be the driver. Um, guys, uh, whatever is going on here, I should probably be riding in the back. You guys going to get ice cream? No one takes me on trips to the city anymore. But Sad life for poor Whitey. Yeah, but Jim Jones, when the uh, everyone else survived besides that, just, just that one kid, Jim Jones said it was because he healed them. Oh. And that gave Jones a double hit. First, his prophecy came true. And... He got to heal people in the same swoop. What did the kid do that died? What did he do to piss off Jim Jones? Why it was an accident he... cycle. Yeah, accident cycle. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but it makes people, but that, that sort of thing makes people even more afraid. Right. Because Whitey, because that's the thing is that now your kids are in trouble as well. Your kids are also in danger because Whitey didn't believe because Whitey wasn't good enough at being a socialist. He didn't die, but his kid did. So if you don't believe, then your kid could die as well. I don't think and we need to keep rubbing it in uh, about how much I don't believe. I'm, I can't scratch my own dick and balls. So if I could also, if someone could just please bring the soup to me, you know I got to drink it with a goddamn straw. You guys are just... I'm getting sick of this. <laughs> <laughs> but that whole thing almost backfired on Jim as well, because one of his most devout followers, a woman named Joyce Sweeney, died in a car wreck on the way home from a late People's Temple meeting. Mm. And Jim spun this one, though, by saying that he'd in fact had a vision, and he had seen it coming, and he had warned Joy. Mm -hmm. But he told her that before she drove off, that she needed to stop and meditate for two minutes. Mm-hmm. 
but she just brushed him off. And because she did not listen, she was dead. So you'd better do every stupid little goddamn thing that I tell you to do if you don't want to end up like Joyce. I'll tell you what, anybody, uh, you know, nothing says rebel. Like a sixty-year-old woman named Joyce. Yeah. <laughs> no, no one, nobody shirks the rules more than elderly Joyce, who then said, "Like, fuck your meditation. I'm gonna go catch some dick." And then she hopped in her motorcycle and vroom vroomed her way to heaven. Yep. James Dean had nothing on her. Well, those little bullshit things. I mean, that that's how Jim Jones got even more uh, control over him. Right. You know, because like meditating for like two minutes, like say. He told him, it's like, yeah, if Joyce would have just meditated for two minutes, she'd be alive right now. But and you know, because she didn't, she's dead. So if mm. I have something stupid that you don't understand, that you think you shouldn't be doing, mm. or that you think is an idiotic thing to do, you better do it or you could die. You're thinking about it? Don't think about it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, so again, he flipped it and reversed it, and he gained even more control. Mm. But... Actually, for the most part, all the supernatural stuff at this time in Redwood Valley was taking a back seat, since the recruitment was focused almost solely on disaffected whites, socialism and equality took the lead. Okay. But that's not to say all that supernatural shit disappeared altogether. One of the things that seemed to be an almost universal opinion among former People's Temple members was that Jim Jones was anything you wanted him to be. Okay. I mean, even Jim Jones himself said that. What if I want him to be a gremlin and I feed him after midnight? It would be cute. That would be cute to do, but it's not going to physically happen, Kessel. Is is there anything else you want him to be? Ooh, just a gremlin. (laughs) It's just, you have to have more imagination. You have to have more imagination. Yeah. Well, if if you wanted Jim Jones to be a socialist leader, you got it. If you wanted Uh a supernatural daddy... You got it. Ugh, don't Nixon this thing. <laughs> God, daddy is the... Oh, daddy. Daddy. Oh, daddy. <laughs> oh, Jim Jones, you're my daddy. Oh, I'm going to vomit. When they got to Jonestown, they called him dad. They did, yeah, huh? Yeah. They, they, and father. They called him father. Formally, they called him father, but comfortably, they called him daddy. Well, if you I listen see. if you listen to the, the death tape, I mean, a couple of people, because they go up <sighs> and they give these testimonies yeah, of yeah, yeah, actually, why they should die, uh, and they refer to Jim Jones. They casually refer to him as dad. Like, yeah. I followed dad down here. Oof. But, you know, and speaking of that, if you wanted God himself from Jim Jones, you got that too. Mm. And you know who said the same shit? It was Charles Manson. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. if you look up at me, you see God. You look down at me, you see the devil. You look straight at me, you see yourself. They understand what they do. And later on, his his <clears throat> his sermons are going to get so rambly because there are thousands of people in the congregation. And he's just saying like a paragraph for each pe- person that's there for a different reason. Mm, and so sure. people just don't remember this shit. That didn't pertain to them. They just remembered the stuff that they agreed with. So he's got a whole quilt work going on here. Different yeah. different uh, needs for different people. And yeah. he addresses them. Yeah, a huge quilt work. And yeah. it doesn't matter what contradictions he has. I have to say, though, I don't think anyone referred to Charles Manson as daddy. Because that is, <laughs> he does not uh, exemplify fatherhood. No, he's no, not no, a no, paternal no. figure no. in any no, way whatsoever. No, 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 no. He probably even went, ew, <laughs> ew, don't call me dad, ew. Well, in this way, like, Jim Jones is, is a politician. Uh, right. And that he can contradict himself so many different times. Yeah, like a liar. Or like all politicians are professional liars. Yeah, exactly. Like, he can sit there and contradict himself, uh, but as soon as the follower, the person that believes in him, the person that follows him, as soon as he talks to them, as soon as he talks about their problems, what they believe in, right. you know, then... 
They forget about everything else. Mm-hmm. They don't think about the contradictions at all. All they think about is that he's got my back. And I'll put this as Kissel, and I'll put it to you on the on the politicians as liar scale. I'd give you a solid like you did good. I'd give you seven point five. Yeah, you that's never why said I, anything. That's why I only spe- got six thousand votes. <laughs> yep, that's the that's the ultimate irony. Uh, but that's the thing. Once you understand, people are in, they they need their own interest addressed. And at the end of the day, we are all in it for our own best interest, a base human quality. That's what yeah. you play on. So but, once you understand that, you can really do anything. And there's another side to that. The other side to that is that all of these people that were in that room, even though they may have been there for different reasons, they all had the same enemy. They all had one person. They all had one cause to fight against. So well, it's actually a few different things, oh. but you can b- roll that entire ball into one word. The system, ah. because you, you, he railed against the CIA, the FBI, the government, racist bigots. All of this was the system. Right, right. Yeah. And all of that could also be balled up in one other word, Satan. That Satan was the system. The system Always. was Satan. So that's Always how he, he maligning him. <laughs> Always attacking him. He never gets to tell his side of the fucking story. And again, <laughs> if he's bad to them, he can't be all that bad, really. You know what I mean? I don't like it. I hear he's part of the system. <laughs> oh, he is not. I'm, ooh, 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 I'm gonna put up a statue. Well, that's how. Yeah. Well, he could also uh, bring in both sides by saying Satan. Is that if he said Satan, then he brought in the Bible thumpers. Right, right, right. Uh, but he could also bring in everyone else that wasn't religious, bring them in by saying like, you know, like, yes, it is Satan, and then turn around to them on the other side of his face and say like, you know, I'm talking about Satan. It's just like a metaphor, right? Right. And then you turn over the Bible thumpers and say like, the Satan of the Bible, and then turn back, like, it was the exact same thing. He was just saying it in two different ways, and everyone was buying it. He's the mayor from uh, from um, a Christmas. Nightmare Before Nightmare Christmas. Before Christmas. <laughs> yes. Nightmare Before Christmas. The mayor from Nightmare Before Christmas. Great character. But even though all this was going on, people's temple struggled in stagnation for about three years. Like, small growth was happening, but it was very slow going. It wasn't until another assassination happened Uh that Jones saw another opportunity. Because this man knew how to take advantage of a situation. Mm -hmm. So about two weeks after Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated... Yes. one of San Francisco's biggest black churches held a memorial service open to the public. Jones caught wind and brought damn near his whole congregation in a caravan of busted up cars and vans. He knew his people really, really well. And because he had such an intimate relationship with them, and he knew that, number one, they would love this, and it was a part of the community. And I actually think it was twofold, is that he knew that it would help him down the the road, uh, and it also was a thing that he wanted to be in the center of. Like, it was a huge thing. He wanted to be in the pictures at a massive like uh, uh, memorial for Martin yeah. Luther King. I was thinking yeah. also maybe Bobby Kennedy, but I guess it was MLK. Huh? Bobby Kennedy was a whole different thing for them. And that plays perfectly into what you're talking about with the system mm-hmm. because the the uh, rumors of uh, Hoover's FBI being involved, the CIA killing him, that started right away. Yeah, well, COINTELPRO was real. Yeah. Then all the, yeah. he oh, got, oh, that all got vin- vindicated in the end. Yeah. yeah. And uh, hmm. the people of people's temple where they were genuinely compassionate they were genuinely moved and saddened by the death of martin luther king jr you know and you know they skewed a lot heavier towards the white side so when they showed up at this service they stood out Mm -hmm. but they were also 
genuine. They were compassionate, and they were welcomed as brothers and sisters in God. And after the service, Jim Jones and his people started talking about all the good they were getting down to up in Ukiah and invited everyone there to visit anytime they wanted. Uh Uh-oh. So the San Francisco people figured, why the hell not? And when they got there, they were met with a two-pronged attack of racial equality and actual religion along with a few healings thrown in for good measure. It's strange to think about, like, weaponized goodwill. Yeah. Yes. That's, well, that's, that's, called, that's, that's how you, wow, that's a damn good way of putting it. That's what it is, is that he realized exactly that he got exactly what he wanted. And then every single time he flipped somebody, he got pleasure out of it. Yeah, I right. think that's kind of what we're talking about here is, like, with allowances that we talk about with serial killers, for him it's the slow acquisition of humans. Yeah, and he'd throw in a few healings as well as mostly mind-reading type of healings. Uh, Did but he th- ever get to Whitey, or he just kind of stayed, <laughs> stayed in envelope? Well, I think they put Whitey in the back. Oh, yeah, okay. I, don't, I don't think My Whitey got... My cat is really starting to itch. If somebody could get me a hanger, <laughs> you cannot just pretend like I'm not here. Guys... <laughs> <laughs> but this time with the mind readings, it wasn't Jim Jones that was eavesdropping on the crowd for information. It was Patty Cartmel. Ooh. Yeah, she'd go around the crowd, she'd listen in and report back to Jim Jones with pertinent details. Now, you might think all of this shit might raise a few eyebrows in the new non-religious types that People's Temple had just recruited, right. but they were told again, and they believed again, all this was just a means to an end. Mm-hmm. We just yep. had to get people in. We we sure, right. yes we have to we have to lie to them. Yes we have to do these healings. Yes we have to have a Bible centric service this time and every time these people come. But it's all for the cause. It's well, to it's get constant. them in, and then once they get in, then we can get the real work done. Right. His constant reasoning was numbers. Yeah. He's like, we can't make real change unless we have the numbers that we need. Right, and in order yeah. to put butts in the seats, which is true, which is like, honestly, yeah. we've seen it on our own, our, our own tiny level as a podcast. Is that like you don't get to until you have like the numbers, you could show up to a meeting and be like, well, this many people follow me. Like right. you, you can, you, it's easier to give that person money that way. His is also about power, though. Yeah, and can you imagine if Dave Chappelle's last special had an empty audience? <laughs> it wouldn't have qu- the, quite the same impact. So after the San Francisco crowd was impressed with the message, Jones repeated what had worked so well in Indianapolis and brought back the notion of a church where you get something now. Woo-hoo. He started doing the exact same thing where, you know, he would, you know, they would help them out with like government forms, mm. uh, programs, getting them jobs, all kinds of shit, like actually making their lives better. And because of all this, People's Temple started to grow again. Mm. At their lowest point in 1966, they had 86 members. Mm. By the end of the 60s, they had 500. Wow. By 1973, they had almost 3,000. It's almost like they're about to serve over a billion burgers. <laughs> this guy is Ray Kroc in it all over town. Again, smart businessman, great lover, knew what <laughs> McDonald's needed to get to the top. Don't want to. Th- that is the worst love story in movie history, by the way. <laughs> it's pretty you know, great. What's it called? The founder? That movie? The founder. I just watched it like this weekend. It's great. That love story is disgusting. Yeah. Ray Kroc is disgusting. <laughs> the, and it's, it's an affair. Oh, yeah, the love story is awful. <sighs> Ray sure. Kroc is a terrible person. Thank you. Uh, he was incredibly necessary. <laughs> he cha- Those guys would have been nothing without him. They didn't know. They were squandering everything. If, the only good thing about Ray Kroc and McDonald's is it is slowly killing our president. Right. And I don't know if I can legally say that, but that is the, the long game for Ray Kroc. 
Kroc. Ray, oh come on, Ray Kroc, and this man is responsible for the way the world is. He's a. I know it's horrible. It's awful. The world's horrible. I know that's what I'm saying. Thank is that you. Ray Kroc? I'm talking to Henry here. Ray Kroc is not a good man. Ray Kroc is the fucking. Henry devil. loves him, Marcus. He's very important. I viewed, <laughs> I see what he says as a he did his job. He was around all these people that were pathetic. They didn't know how to make their business good, they and he were, went in there, and they should be thankful for the money that they got. And this is what Jim Jones told his followers as well. <laughs> be thankful for what you got. They were hardworking, honest Americans. Honest Americans. They didn't have the guts to take it to the top. And sometimes you gotta have the chutzpah to really kick it to the next year. You know, year. I did not realize you were such an evil capitalist. No. <laughs> 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 well, now I kind of like it. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. So it's the coins falling out of my shirt. Uh. <laughs> well, those members, when they were first starting to build up their membership, those people were hard fought. Now, once People's Temple had decided you were right for them, once they had chosen you, they would do everything they could to get you and keep you. Hmm. There was this one girl, she told this story of how she'd arrived at People's Temple after escaping from an abusive home, and she'd been taken in by a couple. Now, she said she was grateful, but she wasn't sure that she'd stick around just yet. And she'd written letters to her family, but she hadn't gotten any replies, Uh so she started drifting towards Jim. One night, he cornered her and told her personal information that she hadn't even told her host. So as far as she was concerned, Jim Jones was a mind reader. And, you know, these people were very kind. They had taken her in. So she joined People's Temple. It was only later that she found out that her host family had been stealing her mail reading it, and passing along the information to Jim Jones. Talk about the system. It's like the movie The Visit. It's like one of those things you <laughs> meet with. It's like all of these super cute old people, and they're just stealing your fucking mail. Because that was what yeah, she was man. saying. She was sitting in there, and she thought that her family had left her. Basically, mm-hmm. what, what Jim Jones did is what he couldn't do with Ronnie, where he just cut her off and made sure that she couldn't get any word from her parents. Thinking So she thought that she was just sent adrift. But oh. she was getting letters and yeah. sending them back and forth, and they just they just kept it, they kept it away from her. Oh, that's very sad. Yeah, and Jim had a name for this, for doing shit like this. He called it situational ethics. Mm, I honestly think, Kissel, you said the same thing to me about 4.30 in the morning in a hotel somewhere in the middle of this country. (laughs) We were both 19 bourbons in, and you're like, situational ethics, as you were, like, taking stuff from the hotel and and putting it in your bed. Well, that is actually fine, because you're paying for the room and what's inside of it other than the bed and, of course, the television. Yeah, and these followers, they went along with it, and they also started going along with other crazy shit that Jim Jones was starting to hmm. say. In 1968, he started claiming that in past lives he'd been Buddha, Jesus, Gandhi, and somehow both Lenin and Marx. Whoa. <laughs> well, it's because he's working on the Scientology timelines where you could be two people at once. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and these sermons, which People's Temple, by the way, they, they didn't call their sermons sermons or services or anything like that. They called them meetings. Okay. And these meetings would go on forever. And most of the time, the doors would be locked. So nobody could take any sort of bathroom breaks. And these were, of course, for people who'd already joined. They didn't do this shit for people that were just visiting. And these meetings would go on for so long. It would be so exhausting that one former member said he saw a grown man pass out and piss himself in Uh, the middle of one. A grown man. Grown man. Pass out, piss himself. Uh, Well, and also remember, um, so in order to keep people focused, he wouldn't have chairs. So you have to stand or you have to sit on the ground because he wanted people completely enraptured but what he would do is he would stand behind the pulpit number one what he had was a couch 
that no one else could sit on that he would lay on during the meetings. And he was also allowed to go to the bathroom if he wanted to. But in the very beginning, in order to keep himself and keep up his image, he would have a special apparatus rigged up behind the pulpit. A little, like yeah. a catheter type thing. I think it was just a bucket. Yeah. He had a bucket. <laughs> a special a bucket. apparatus. <laughs> it's he a, had bucket. a bucket. He used to I think piss he just in pissed bucket. in a bucket. Okay. <laughs> That's also reasonable. Pissed in a bucket in front that was behind a pulpit. Okay. Yeah. Uh, if, right. Yeah. But let's, you know, like, let's just hear an excerpt from one of these Redwood Valley meetings. This is just the sort of shit that he would do to fill time. Speaking the other day, just a few services back last week, one of my brothers came to me to show you that there's nothing lost in this consciousness. My brother John back there, you were concerned about something that was lost. You were concerned. You lost it miles and miles away. Well, my spirit retrieves it for you today. Come and take it. It's like Rage Against the Machine with ragtime music <laughs> and a preacher. It's so it's much very fun, honestly. I wish I could do a lot more on this show of being like, and that's when a pussy fell off. And oh, yeah. <laughs> we crazy. found it in the river. <laughs> we found it in the river. Like, I want to yeah. go a lot more transitioning to gospel songs. <laughs> Yeah, and that whole, what was he even talking? I mean, I heard socialism in there. You know, social. I mean, so did, if that didn't read at all, uh, then what he was doing is that he was just talking about how uh, one of his members had lost something, uh, and he found it. He found and it. He, fa- he found it, okay. and you know, he's like, and here it is, and it was like a card or something like that. And then the uh, person came up and uh, you know got it from him, and he was like, yeah, I've got a. A whole lot of things that I found. I'll, I just found that. I just I just found it, and wow. I gave it to him. I got a whole lot of other things that I found. But I'll give it to you after the service. But until then, I just you know just mesmerizing you with socialism. Oh no 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 no! Because you jump right <laughs> into so this. This small little miracle for them quotations miracle is just as big as anything else. Yeah, I tell you what, if that's a miracle, Natalie does like five miracles. A day for me. I've slowly slid into the father's disease. My fa- every dad's disease, where it's just been like, where are my keys? Where is my bullshit? Uh, she Marcus, just finds Marcus, them. don't tell Henry uh, that father's disease is alcoholism. Yeah. Oh, alcoholism. God. Also, oh God! Don't don't tell him that he's not a father just because he has a dog. I oh, am a daddy. That's up for debate. <laughs> I am a daddy. She needs me. Well, Jim Jones also started giving bizarre orders. He'd order people to drink a glass of warm water mixed with vinegar every morning. Did I mean, was he just thinking like, do you think they'd do this dumb shit? Yes. I, what uh, if I yes. say this? If it's, they do this, that's yes. exactly and what I think, it was. I honestly oh. think that a part of it, yes, is that it was, it's subtly indoctrinating them. I think it's half on purpose, half not. But I think every single time he did it, the penis would like yeah. shift mm-hmm. every single time somebody would do something completely against their will he would love it even if it's something dumb 
Yeah. Right. And this is just test to see right. how wh- what they would do, how far they would go. And it started off really small, like shit like that, like warm water and vinegar. It's like, oh, you did that? Great. Mm-hmm. In 1969, he started taking it further. One guy who left the cult in 1970 said that he'd been present at one of the first poison tests. Uh-oh. At a small gathering, Jim Jones served lime Kool-Aid, not oh, Flavor-Aid. Okay. Oh, he saved the, the good, good stuff, stuff. For, yeah. for his private group. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He toasted everyone. They all had a drink. Then Jim Jones told him that it was poison just to see how everybody would react. Then he'd watch everyone, see, okay, that person freaks out. That person takes it calmly. That person doesn't believe me and thinks that they're just kidding. And then he'd laugh and say, like, nope. It was all just a test. I just wanted to see what you people would do. Now, everyone, go to bed. Have fun. And this is my friend Ashton Kutcher. He came all the way from Los Angeles. (laughs) Ashton, tell them what it was like on the 70s show. Oh, (laughs) you got to take them down to the river. Uh, Now, this is the seventh song about rivers that we will sing today. That 70s show is the closest my hometown ever had a TV show to having a TV show based uh, off of it. It's called Point Place, and I'm from Stevens Point. Wow. And it's Wisconsin. That's and I'll mention Mimi Bobek once again. <laughs> Thank also you. from Stevens Point, Wisconsin, from the Drew Carey show. Yeah, Jim Jones would do these Kool Aid tests, uh, and sometimes he'd do it with champagne. Uh, but he'd do it again wow. and again and again over the years, preparing everyone for that final moment. Hmm. And it wasn't like that last moment. Everyone thought like, "Oh, this is just another test." No, they knew it was real. Right. Like they looked around. They saw everyone dying. I mean, because there was a long line. Well, uh, they saw by then things had gotten dying. really serious. By then they'd yeah. already fired weapons. We'll get to that. By then right. they've yeah. already been militarized and it it's it, Jonestown was pretty intense. Oh, yeah. yeah. They they Brutal. knew it wasn't they knew it was real that time, but by that time, they'd gotten used to the idea. Right, they'd so he's been, grooming them here. He's grooming them. He'd been doing that for almost 10 years hmm. by the time Guyana came. Wow. But even though Jim Jones was doing all this wacky shit, people were still joining in droves. But while things were going pretty fantastically for People's Temple, things weren't going so great in the Jones household. Uh-oh. It can't all be awesome, okay? <laughs> it's always like your career's going great, your house is not going good. I mean, like, there's always something. And always it's hard something. to keep a, a personal life going when you're a cult leader. Mm-hmm. Now, outside of Marshall Applewhite, whose whole cult seemed to be built so he could get the thought of fucking dudes out of his head... Huh. Cult leaders across the board tend to be obsessed with sex on some level or another. Well, Applewhite, he, I don't think he ever got it out of his head there. They cut <laughs> no, 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 I don't think he did. Off. Yeah. I yeah. don't think he did. He did cut his fucking penis off. Yeah, I think yeah. that means so, it's in the forefront of his mind. Yeah, he did cut his dick and balls off so he wouldn't think about imagine, dudes anymore. Just imagine being that angry at part of your body. <laughs> I have been upset Very at strange. it, but it needs to be there. I have to have it. It's the only thing I can trust. Well, for some cults, like Children of God, sex was the whole point. Oh, yeah, they were gross. Yeah, good, Kissel. You're right. They were gross. Oh, they how icky gross. it was. It and definitely I, was super icky, it sticky was icky, over there. Henry. I'm sorry I don't have a callous soul like you do. I'll still say it was gross. Yeah, everything centered around sex to a disgusting degree, and all the members took part, again, to a disgusting degree. For other cults, it was more about gratifying the man up top and the man up top alone. And People's Temple was definitely more this variety. Mm. And we all know that Jim Jones had always been a horny little devil. Yeah, he has <laughs> been. He is a naughty little pappy, isn't he? A hot daddy. You know what it is, too, about um, the sexual impulse for me is like it's very much so. It's almost like cult leaders 
or even a more practical version of a serial killer, where mm. it's it's very similar to the Leonard Lake, Charles Ng keeping a woman in a castle, like keeping a woman in a uh, in a uh, jail cell to do whatever, or like how Jerry Brudos wanted to keep women in a cave so we could do whatever they want for them, but they didn't have the work ethic mm-hmm. to create an organization where you can do just that, where it's it's actually like an 11-year-old's boy impulse of being able to just, like, take clothes off of toys and shit. Mm-hmm. Different kind of 11-year-olds. <laughs> you didn't do that? Take No, I'm Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I put clothes on them, weapons. Ah, uh, but you didn't, so you didn't have wrestlers. Any, yeah, but you never had any girls around, so you didn't no, have any Barbies had, around. No, we had some Barbies around. Yeah. Had, so yeah, you like, never stripped the clothes off the Barbies and kissed uh, Well, we the didn't breasts. have that many Barbies around, no. I guess there wasn't a lot of girls. We, had a, <laughs> we, had a, uh, we did have a, um, a uh, missionary couple stay with us. They had a daughter, they had, but we would play Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles versus Barbies. Mm-hmm. When you but say I, missionary I'm, couple, I just imagine they're always they're inside each other. Other. No, they're not. They were helping. They and they're just riding. The, the woman's word. riding around like he's a horse. I, I, but I understand it's a very common idea. Well, speaking of sex like that, during sermons, Jim Jones would casually just talk about how he'd bang Marceline up to five times in a single night. All right. Such was the power of his virility. Okay. But in reality... Their sex life was almost non-existent. Are you telling me a man is lying a about man- how good he is in bed? <laughs> yeah. Shocking. Weird. See, Marceline, through no fault of her own, had a bad back, which, by the late 60s, had made sex impossible. Hmm. And that's when Jim Jones took a preacher's daughter named Carolyn Layton as his lover, who was described in The Road to Jonestown as having had a, quote, Grim Pentecostal essence. Yes. Well, I want to marry her. He <laughs> I love this, that. He picked this lady because of her qualities. Mm-hmm. It is very similar to L. Ron Hubbard. With her, it, again, same thing, the reason why he picked Marceline. It wasn't necessarily like she was the hottest of the group or she was the most willing. She was the one with the skills that he needed to back him up. Yeah, I mean, she didn't just replace Marceline as a lover. She replaced him as uh, what, you know, Patty Cartmel's son might call Jim's go-to guy. All right, go-to guy. Yeah, because I think it's because Jim knew that Marceline didn't have the stones for what he actually wanted to do. Because Marceline, she was a good woman. But you know what? I'm just going to throw this out there. It also takes courage not to kill 900 people. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. Like, it's She didn't have the evil stones because there are right. good stones and there are evil stones. And what Marceline had, she had the good stones. Stones. All right. You know, like You're she, a doctor, aren't you? <laughs> I knew it this whole time, yes. Marcus. You, know, you know, like Marceline, you don't got like, you know, like evil stones. Like Marceline, she got like, you know, like good rocks. Yeah, 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 I Joe. Tell, tell him how the stones work. Yeah, you know how it goes. He's I a do doctor, like which means he goes around to... grabbing girls by the breast saying, hey, you want a free mammogram? Oh, I see that. Uh, I like you're deflecting that. Oh, this is how Italians speak, not, not Texans. Very interesting. Well, Marceline, as far as like having the courage to stand up, she you're not going to say it. the stones again. Now I'm going to say the stones. I'm going to say the courage. I'm going to say the courage because I'm about to turn into something serious here. Uh-oh, sorry, I'm I sorry. got a serious point to make here. All right, serious. All right, you fuckers, ready? All right, all right. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, Marceline, she had the courage when the flavor aid was being passed out. She had the courage to stand up and try to stop it. Mm. You know, she had to actually be restrained uh, when they were <sighs> giving it to the kids. Um, and we have evidence of it. You know, it's in the tape. Right. So uh, let's listen right now to Jim Jones uh, trying to calm her down. Mother, 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 please. Mother, please, please, please. Don't, don't do this. Don't do this. 
lay down your life with your child, but don't do this. Ooh, God, you hear those uh, babies screaming at that. Again, I you have to remember. I always, I you know, yeah. as we talk about the episode, we forget, or I mean, at least it's good, important to remember that uh, how horrible it was there. And that's how Marceline reacted. But Ugh. Carolyn Layton, she helped stir the vat. Good lord! Now, this affair it started with Marceline's full knowledge, as well as with the knowledge of their whole family. Jim Jones actually sat down their kids and told them that he and mommy weren't having sexual relations anymore, so he had to take Carolyn, who you should all think of as a special friend, to fill his needs. Just Because she is father's most special friends. Because, let me teach you this lesson. Imagine semen as a bunch of um, prisoners inside of a horrible, (laughs) wrinkled prison, and that Carolyn is like the, the, she's, Freeing them from jail <laughs> all over her, the beautiful vacation spot that is known as her breasts. And that is a thing called a pearl necklace. Kids, it's not just jewelry. Just cut to them, just <laughs> horrified faces. Poor kids. Now, as I said last episode, I think of Marceline as the first follower of Jim Jones. And I think Marceline, a lot of the time, became a test case for Jim to see what he could get away with. Also, it's a test case for Jim Jones. Because mm-hmm. so he took, we talk a lot about Carolyn Layton, but she had a husband named Larry Layton, who if he was a bird, would be a cuckatiel. <laughs> he um, was, they had his <laughs> wife taken from him. And then what he did was just be like, okay, what I'm going to do though is, I know you're upset. We're doing this for the temple. You, you, seem, you seem really upset. I'm going to give you a hotter wife. So he chose another lady from the congregation that was hotter, that he said was hotter. He gave him to her and be like, that's your new wife. And then like six months later, he's like, I'm going to be taking that hot wife back because now <laughs> it's mine. That. Yes. That's yes, not allowed. <laughs> yes. And Larry Layton's just like, all right. Uh, well, they seem to be enjoying it, whatever it is you do. Horrible stuff happening. Well, as far as Carolyn Layton went, as Really, like, his followers at large didn't know about the whole situation. Um, but Jim Jones figured that if he could convince his wife that he needed to get laid to keep his special powers going, mm-hmm. that he could convince his followers of anything. Yeah. And- Can you imagine that? Can you imagine <laughs> sitting your girlfriend down and being like, this is for the good of the podcast. <laughs> I have to have my balls drained by many, many people, many different people. Like it's just even a horse. I, I, it's just my, it's my, it's my burden. Actually, it's a thing that uh, I wish I didn't have it. Right, he flipped it, huh? Yeah. All right. And as far as how he got Carolyn Layton to the situation, Jim sent Patty Cartmel to convince her. Patty Ugh. told Carolyn that Marceline was mentally and physically unfit, and that Jim, in order to keep on being Jim, Uh-oh. needed to have a physical release okay. and Carolyn had been chosen to give that to him and it's really sad because honestly Patty Clayton straight up said I'll do it right because <laughs> she they were had this meeting it was yeah. a meeting because he did everything with his committee so they had the committee and he would meet and he would talk about how I need to fuck more I can't do this and Patty was like I'll do it <laughs> and he's like God has a different plan for you <laughs> 
Oh, poor Patty. Yeah, poor Patty, man. Yeah, because he was like, yeah, God has a different plan for you. All right. You, my child, shall be in charge of my fuck schedule. That's right. Mm. And she was never put on there herself. She should have put herself in the game. <laughs> she should have just written her name in there. Come on. It's what everyone who goes in the production side, who is also an entertainer, who just happens to be on screen a lot more. <laughs> well, Carolyn, she was told that she had been chosen to give Jim the release. Carolyn was the first to be told that, but she was by no means the last. Jim would tell women that by having sex with him, they were supporting him, supporting themselves, supporting the cause, and boosting their self-esteem all at the same time. Okay. Why do I feel that this is a Bobby Flay move? (laughs) (laughs) Meet Bobby Flay. I found out a little information on Bobby Flay. Good barbecue, not a great chef. Really? That's why he often does lose on Beat Bobby Flay. Interesting. He makes good oils. The chili oils are really good when he was selling. They're really good. But not famous for his cooking. And Jim Jones, like, he wasn't just sleeping with women. This is a Jonestown survivor, Tim Carter's recollection of a Jim Jones proposition. Uh Uh-oh. I had been in the temple for just a few months. I was sent backstage in Los Angeles to to get something for somebody. I don't remember what. And Jones happened to be coming out of his room. And he said, hi, Tim, how are you doing? How's it going? How do you like everything so far? And, oh, I like it a lot. And, you know, it's really cool. I don't remember exactly. And he reached up and kind of patted the back of my neck and he said, I'll fuck you in the ass if you want. And I just kind of stammered, uh, no, you know, I, no. And he said, well, you know, if, if you ever want that, that's that's okay. You know, just let me know and we'll do that. That is, sounds like the story of every staffer who works for Louis Gohmert, <laughs> which is a deep cut politically. He's a horrible, horrible politician out of Texas. Honestly, it just sounds like Jim Jones is out, is about to be in that wonderful film, American Beauty. <laughs> He's such a really good actor. That takes a really good actor to pull it off, kind of like a Kevin Spacey. Yeah. Like a really, yeah. really good one. Ah, dang it, American Beauty was a great movie. It was. Eh? Yeah. It was fine. It was fine. <laughs> I mean, a little bit heavy on the paper bag floating nonsense. Spot. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I still bag. do that joke to the dismay of my family every <laughs> single time I see a plastic bag going down the street. Yep, you got to. Now, Jones didn't have sex with his male followers as much as he did the female, but he did it enough where older followers gave advice to newcomers. Huh. The road to Jonestown quoted one follower as saying to a younger one, If you ask father to fuck you in the ass, take a douche. <laughs> Precious word from an old grandfather to a young man. It's called discussing advice. I write a column every week for the the newspaper of the congregation. That's uh, uh, either an elder in Jim Jones's uh, church or a grip who worked on the Andy Dick show. (laughs) Talking, of course, about Andy Dick. Straight up because um, Jim Jones would get uh, really mad if you got shit on his dick. Mm -hmm. And that is true. Yeah. But... I mean, if don't, you got it on his dick, because that's what it is. The, it's, you you know, got it on his dick. If, yeah, you, his if dick. you're working on cars, you're going to get greasy. Do you say that? Have you ever said that to a loved one? He is doing that. No, I just feels like, why is he mad at me? I didn't, I told you going into this, Jim. It's been a rough weekend. Anyway. Do you think that all this would translate into Jones having a progressive view on homosexuality? Sure. But true to form, it was anything but. Really? This is another clip from that PBS documentary. Jim said that all of us were homosexuals. 
everyone except he was the only heterosexual on the planet and that um, the women were all lesbians and the guys were all gay and so anyone that showed any interest in sex was just compensating he sounds like a like a South Park character. He's the, the most juvenile thing I've ever heard in my entire life. I will say this. Gay guys don't say that. You know what I mean? He's, I'm the most heterosexual guy of all time. Yeah. That guy is straight. And you can tell he's straight because he says, I'm the only straight one. You can say that everybody else is gay and they're just forcing him. Because yeah. that's really what it is, is that he has all these followers. Because It's the butthole runs. He's like the They walk around with their buttholes completely open in a plank position, just shuffling back and forth on their elbows and knees, just begging for it. They call it the Vaz walk. Oh, my. (laughs) He reminds me of the, uh, that shithead kid from, uh, uh, world's greatest dad. Yes. Oh, yeah. He just calls everyone gay and just like, what is wrong with you? I don't listen to heavy metal music. It's gay. Why? It's gay. So in the late 60s, Jim Jones wasn't much different than hundreds of thousands of spiritual leaders and politicians who had come before. Yeah, I'm actually surprised by this uh, anti-gay thing. I did not think that that would be with the unity, with all this yeah. stuff. He's very progressive well, on certain things. Well, it's because he, he is gay, because he's at least bi, he's very and he's much trying bi. to fight it. Yeah. I, th- uh, I think he's very much the worst. Well, what it was kind of weird because uh, one of his followers, like who was gay and wanted to live in an open gay relationship, Jim Jones was like, "Nah, nah, nah, you can't do that." But what you can do is just go down to San Francisco, go to a bar, and get fucked every once in a while. It's fine if you want. I can fuck you. It's fine, but we can't have it. We can't have it here in the community. Wait, so you'll fuck me, but I can't have a husband. Can't have a husband. Hmm. So I think at this point, like. Jim Jones is like a mashup of like Billy Graham, Bill Clinton with a little tiny sprinkling of Charles Manson. All right. Like just a little bit. But around 1970, the secret ingredient that turned Jim Jones from just a personally shitty person into a full-blown monster Uh came onto the scene. What happened? Amphetamines. Oh, yeah, my that'll God. that'll do it. You mean the world wasn't better after amphetamines came onto the scene? <laughs> that'll do it. And that's where we'll pick up next oh. episode. Oh, right. Hell yeah, man. That's exactly what I want Jim Jones to have. That's exactly what I want Jim Jones to have. Just more energy. That's what I've always said. Well, you have to be. You have to just. It, it makes you very productive. Uh, I heard that's one thing about amphetamines. Well, I was reading a uh, thing about uh, meth. They were talking about how crystal meth is like a, one thing about it. The reason why it's such a tricky drug is that when you first start doing it, you feel incredible and you just start doing like chores around the house yeah. and you're just like man I get so much shit done and I don't need to sleep and then eventually your feet, your teeth starts falling out and you're having sex Jim Jones style underneath the highway say, begging, saying I'm sorry if you got shit on your, on your dick yeah, you know, <laughs> because you're looking for money. Then you write a beautiful song under the bridge about your addiction and uh, your Anthony Kiedis and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You're rich, you're famous. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's how it works. I have no idea. I don't think so. <laughs> no, please do not. No meth. Uh, that is, uh, no. How clean does your house have to be? That's what I always say. Um, all right, everyone. Well, that's fascinating stuff. Part two. This will be, we got a couple more coming up here. We, we got a, at least a couple more. Maybe oh three more. Oh, my God. Fascinating because, stuff. Yeah, I love this fucking I mean, honestly, of course I love I this love story. It. But it's, a, it's probably going to end up being five parts. Honestly. All right. Yeah, because if we did five on Jack the Ripper, yeah, we got to do five on. Because each of these episodes, like, it's. You know, like I'll write a huge script for it, and we usually don't even get to the end yeah. of it because we're almost already at two hours here. It's amazing, we, and we're not even onto the sunglasses yet. Yeah, does he have the sunglasses? We're getting, amphetamines and sunglasses. It's all coming together all, now. Is it starting to make sense? It's all making sense. <laughs> yeah, it's starting to make sense. <laughs> I get it now. What I would I like to put out for this episode, though, and honestly, in Jim Jones in general, uh, up to this point, it just shows. 
the power of hard work. Mm-hmm. And for me, my horoscope for Taurus said that 2018 is in the year of hard work, and I believe that this is year I'm going to start sowing the seeds for my own cult because <laughs> retirement's not going to last for us. Right. And no. the stock market's going to go down. So this is this is my this is my retirement plan, and I'm going to come out and say it so that none of you are confused when it goes down. But okay. We're not going to kill ourselves. We're not. I promise. Do you get to keep all of your genitalia? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Everybody fucks. Do we have to be a part of this? I'm not. You'll be officers. I'm an officer? A part of the special committee. You're going to be a part of a special committee. We'll talk about this off air. Oh, we're going to be the the PC? We're going to be the planning committee? You're just taking taking fucking shit out of Jim Jones' paid book. I want to be the guy in the Big Lebowski who's just in the pool. (laughs) But I want to have my shirt on. You know what that's called? Recreational Admiral, and that's what you are, Kissel. Congratulations! <laughs> oh, You're the Admiral. Of Rec- what do I get to be? Security. I'd say Security Lieutenant. Uh, uh, yeah, or, I'm the Recreational it Admiral. Sounds like so. I'm, it sounds like it kind of sounds like I'm just doing all the work again. No, no. Well, no. <laughs> but, but, but think yes. about what you're good at, Marcus. It's really just work. about what, utilizing Marcus, everyone's Henry skills. and I have had this conversation in private many times. You say Marcus loves to work. He loves he to work. He's so good work. at it. <laughs> if he doesn't have work to do, yes. then he just goes crazy. So you just need to give him more work. Put him I to work. Hands. Every time he's sad, just put him to work. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm sure you can keep people up to date uh, on your cult here on all the shows on the last podcast network. Mm-hmm. Um, let's. Uh, what, what if we, we should plug and thank people? Thank you for the Patreon. Oh, one thing, too, we're going to talk about. I want to open broach this. There's been a lot of problems with our YouTube page and oh, YouTube yeah. fan videos, and we have no clue what's happening. That's a no YouTube idea. bot, apparently. We, we started talking to them, and apparently they're trying to do a big uh, sweep of, of people posting copyright material. But we're going to say right here, we love fan videos. I don't yep. give a fuck. As far, as far as I'm concerned, it's free advertising. Every single time you do something cool and with our name on it, we love like, it. Yeah. like we don't give a shit. So we're, we're, we're actively working to fix it. I, just, I, mean, I feel like we're not changing. We're not. <laughs> <laughs> but we really aren't changing. So no. if you see anything that's just like, oh, that doesn't seem in character with these dudes who we've known for seven, eight years on all series of different shows, um, it's just not true. We just would not do that. No, it really Honestly, uh, like, it's a so, YouTube, we are too I, lazy and drunk yeah. to get half of <laughs> these I, things done. Thank like, you all for creating the great content. We yeah. love the content. Of course we so, do. Yeah, this, this, yeah. Isn't, this isn't us. Uh, we're not doing it. And we're, we're taking steps to, to make sure that, that this type of shit doesn't happen. This is all YouTube doing it on our behalf. Yes, even though we didn't fucking ask him to. The same thing with the Patreon stuff. It's like, yeah. I don't know. The world is just weird, and everyone is coming up with ideas, and they're all fucking with us. Yeah, they're all bad. Yeah. every and, No upgrade yeah. has ever been good. No. No, absolutely We're not. just trying to make stupid podcasts. Yeah, that's <laughs> all we care about. That's really all we care It's the only, about. we have no discernible talent. No. This is all no, we know how to this. do. So, please, uh, yeah. I promise you, we love you all very much. Yeah. We would not mess with stuff like that. Yeah, and speaking of Patreon, thank you so much to everyone uh, that has given. Patreon.com slash last podcast on the left. Yep. We're going to get to shout outs. Well, I know we've been bad on shout outs. we got a big old envelope. Of full, but we're gonna get back to him soon. Uh, but yeah, uh, thank y'all so much. Go and listen to all the other shows on yep. Last Podcast Network. We got a ton of them over there. Go listen to my new music show, Milk and Peppers. You can find that on mixcloudcom slash Marcus Parks. Hell yeah, I'm so excited for you. Uh, honestly, I'm so excited for you. The show seems like a lot of fun. It's great. KPS. 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 Listen. We- you can listen live uh, every Tuesday on KPS.fm from mm. one to three p.m. Can we Eastern. can we announce that we're gonna bring that uh, thing that back that we were doing for Adult Swim.com? 
Kerm. Yeah, so I believe that it will be. De we're definitely going to be bringing the stream back. Yes. It's going to be coming back soon. I'm shooting Pretty Face right now, so once I'm off of Pretty Face, we'll be able to do that. Season four also, well, for Pretty Face, will be coming on sometime in October. And check me out on Crashing on HBO at 10:30 on Sundays, which is now happening. There it is. Don't Very cool. Uh, so yeah. do that, and then follow us on all of the. Uh, these suicide machines that technically we need to fucking get off of, but it's good for now. We need the numbers um, for at Henry Loves You on Twitter, at Henry Loves You, at Marcus Parks, at Ben Kissel, mm. at Instagram, at Dr. Fantasty, at Marcus Parks, at Ben Kissel, the number one. And follow us at last, for Lad Posca on the left and all your fucking last podcast feeds at LP on the left. There it is. And thanks all for, for all your support and all of our endeavors as uh, we branch out a little bit as well. Mm -hmm. So you guys are awesome. And it's great having people come with us. You know? It's, it's wonderful. It's I very, very it, fun. Um, hail yourselves, everyone. Hail Satan. Hail Dean. Hail me. Please. And a Magustalations. <laughs>